and that when Mother Earth first came out with that beer, it was called Oatmeal IPA, and it was like, and they, they use oatmeal when brewing it to help take out some of the hoppiness or whatever, and okay. but it don't taste like fucking oatmeal. But they um they changed the they changed the name of it to Long Weekend and like sales like first week sales like three hundred percent. Yeah, I was gonna say because oatmeal stouts to me like that's what it reminds me of, and those are heavy beers, you know. Yeah, and and I think it kind of scared people off from getting it, but I actually had it when it was still oatmeal IPA. Okay. But uh, it, when it changed the long weekend, everybody started started drinking it or whatever, and it's been pretty fucking super. We've got nice. a uh, we got a place here that has it on draft like year round. It's I told I, I know the the head bartender slash manager place dude, um, and uh, I'd say Mark keep this shit on tap no matter what. Mm-hmm. Period. Keep yeah, it on fucking okay. tap. And there's a retainer. You call me when you need more money. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's been one of their best-selling beers, and so it, why get rid of it? But because you know, you got some places that have beer, and then even though it's a best-seller, they're like trying to stay hip and shit. They they just keep it stuff that they don't keep anything. They just always change shit out. I'm like, man, you know what? If you got something that you're selling that much of. Don't fucking change it up. Just keep that shit and get some and filter new or cycle new stuff in with the stuff that isn't selling that good. But yeah, you know. But next they, time they, you come they up, right. I'm gonna take you down in the to the poor house, and there's a couple of them. Um, and uh, but there's there's one that's you know stumbling distance down the hill from me. Oh, and um, the they have like a hundred something beers on tap, and they have a very let's say talented wait staff. Um, and, uh, but you know, they got things like you can go in there and you can get, you know, La Fin de Monde and, um, Elysian fields and stuff like that from some of these bottle only normally Mm -hmm. beers that are, you know, like the beer distributor, hundred dollars a case. Well, you know, who the hell is going to buy a hundred dollar case of beer before they try it once, you know? Yeah. So you can go in there. They got it on tap. It's awesome. And they have some stuff too. It's like, you know, they'll, if you join their mailing list, they'll, they'll be like, Oh, we got founders, Kentucky oatmeal breakfast stout or something. And we got two barrels and it's on handful tout tap. And so they do some cool stuff. Um, I just wish their food was a little better. You know, I can tell I'm getting when the place has like a, a, a beer list that's size two font on the back of an 11 by 17 sheet of paper and they got a bourbon list and a whiskey list that's similar. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, awesome. I got to get some food on this. Why do their burgers suck? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It's cause no one's going there for the fucking burgers. Now <laughs> you remember I got told yes, uh, two things. Uh, well, apparently hoppium this past week was uh, a breakfast beer for us. Cause we were drinking it like nine 30, <laughs> 10 o'clock on the boat. Yeah. But, I mean, fair chase being what it is, if we hadn't gotten up at 2.30 in the morning... You yeah, know, it wasn't the same as 9.30 on a normal morning, right? <laughs> you know, it, it was past lunchtime for us at that point. Yeah. Um, yep. But uh, they... Um, 
uh, I mentioned to you, uh, I thought maybe I, mean, I wasn't talking to you. Maybe I was talking to boot, but, um, uh, Sierra Nevada in Asheville, it is, it is, I always call it an adult playground because it is fucking awesome brewery and okay. just, and it's awesome beer, obviously. But, uh, when you there, the facility is fucking baller. Like the facility, I mean, it is like a clean room or, or like a, like an ER. It's so clean and like the brewery is so awesome. But not only that is massive. It is freaking I, I, huge. I think you started telling me about this and, and we either hooked up on, a, on a Wahoo or I'm just so blurry and tired from like, you know, 11 beers on the boat and two and a half hours of sleep that I forget where, what you were telling me about it. Yeah, well, if you go there, um, their their restaurant. The, the reason why I bring it up because you talk about the food sucking at that other place, but the beer is good. But the food there, the restaurant is like a legit hardcore four star restaurant. Like That's the food awesome. is phenomenal. The fucking uh, pork belly, holy shit, dude! That should make you want to smack somebody's mama because it's so good. <laughs> um, the uh, and then uh, I. I always tell a story. So the, the staff there, I mean, even like the waiters that are working in the restaurant, they are all like beer heads. And nice. uh, I asked, they're super knowledgeable about, you know, all kind of shit, even non Sierra Nevada shit. Cause they'll compare stuff to other non Sierra Nevada beers to kind of give you an idea. Well, I didn't know what to order. I and mean, it was like, we had just, we got there at lunchtime. So we were all starving. So we went before we did anything else, we went to eat, went to the restaurant and I asked, uh, and of course they've got the full beer menu. And at Sierra Nevada, they have beers on tap at the brewery that they don't bottle or, or can. They don't sell it anywhere but the brewery. And right. uh, I asked, like, what do you suggest? And he was like, hmm, the BFD. And I was like, <laughs> the fuck is the BFD? He says, the beer for drinking. I said, that's its name. He's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, what kind of fucking beer is it? He says, if I had to, every time I have to describe it, I always describe it as the ultimate lawnmower beer. And I'm like, all right, well, let's try it. And dude, dude fucking killed it. It was like a hot day. I don't even know what it was. I don't know if it was a Pilsner or what, but huh. I, 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 I can't remember what it was, but, um, That's I drank it. It smells like lawn clippings and gasoline. No, no, no. It's like <laughs> that that hot day on a lawnmower, yeah. and like you get off, and you're like dusty and shitty and smelly, and grass clippings on your eyeballs and shit, and you're thirsty as fuck, and you crack open a cold one, and it was it hits the spot. That's what yep. that beer was. It was the perfect damn lawnmower beer and then so i was like well goddamn, i ain't ever gonna get this anywhere but here again and that's six hours away from here so fast forward like a year and i was with uh courtney's um cousin and cousin-in-law he's um he's a real big beer head too and we went to total wine because they live literally three minutes from total wine in raleigh and so we went there and sure as shit i saw four pack 22 ounce cans of bfd i said holy shit i bought all of them i bought all the ones <laughs> they had took them up dude i drank them in one all of them in one weekend they were so freaking good and i haven't been right. able to find i haven't been able to find them since but it was like a year after they had 
like released it at the brewery, they started canning it, I guess, or maybe a select run or something, but yeah. Anyway, FYI, I don't know if you can see on, on your end, we've been recording for almost eight and a half minutes. So yeah, it, it pops up a little thing. says David oh, is recording. Damn it. I was hoping you weren't going to know. <laughs> Dude, I, I know exactly when it happened too, because the phone, the sound got all wonky for a minute and then oh, came it, back. It oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Anyway, all right, so um, for everybody listening, this is Josh Coons with Patriot Valley Arms, a one of my personal very, very good friends, and uh, he um, recently just got back up to Pennsylvania from um, spending a few days here in Kakalaki, and uh, we went out on CL's, uh, Jeff's boat, and CL came to help. Find the fish and uh, success. We found uh, first good good day was the first day was a great day of trolling. And then why don't you tell us a little about about your time here in, in North Carolina, dude? Well, this thing like it's your first time. You went went out with us back yeah. in but October. Um, yeah. So beginning of October, right? And mm-hmm. uh, um, and you know I had a blast back in October, and I could see CLs getting really frustrated because. We've been talking about this trip for a year. We finally get down there, and it's like it's an absolutely beautiful day, and nobody's catching shit. Nobody like, on the radio. Nothing, nobody. Right? Yeah, we we put two sails on the boat in like the first forty minutes. I don't even think it was forty was, minutes, dude. I think it, it was, was literally in the first like, twenty. The first I, twenty minutes. The first one. I don't know what happened to that beer, but I remember cracking the beer open and you saying, here, you got to try this. It was a long weekend. I had like two sips into it and then the reel explodes and it's time to go. <laughs> yep. And I, I don't remember what happened to that beer because I was like cloud nine after that. But uh, yeah, that was a hell of a sale, too. That was a that was a fucking behemoth of a sailfish. That was really nice. And yeah. uh, that's the trophy. I, I mean, for people like you and me who don't offshore fish a lot, any sailfish is a trophy. But like this motherfucker, this was a big fish. This was a big sail. It was really nice. I did so. Uh, like I, I heard CL and the captain and the mate on the boat going, "Wow, that's a really nice sail." Like not the, oh yeah, you got a client on there and you know he shot a spike and you pat him on the back and go, "That's a baller elk, dude, way to go." No, they're like you could tell either these guys are the greatest actors in the face of the earth or they're going. Damn, that's a good sale. Yeah, yeah um, especially that time of year, too. Yeah, um, I sent uh, the one picture of that fish that I have, the one that I keep busting your balls about with a fishing rod right in the middle of the fish. And I, uh, You think so, I'm looking at that? I, that's, I'm not, I took the picture, but I mean, I, I, I didn't, in fact, I don't even remember even noticing it, even looking at the picture. I didn't notice it until like two days later. My wife pointed it out. She's like, "Why is there a fishing rod in the middle of the fish?" God knows. I don't know with her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, she. I mean, she does that kind of stuff for a living. Design development for software things. So. Then she should fix it. She should be able to fix it. Then she. You're living with the person who can take care of your problem here. So what are we yeah. talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right. But I sent that photo to a buddy of mine in Charleston. And, you know, he, I mean, he owns a boat similar to Jeff's. He's offshore, you know, 35 days a year and, uh, you know, as a hobby. And he's right. like, 
Oh, are you off the coast of California? He, I mean, he thought it was a Pacific sailfish. It was so big. And I was like, well, okay, maybe I should get that mounted. <laughs> but yeah, that yeah, actually, so, the, the old Corona actually helped you with that. Yeah. Got a good deal. Yep. yep. Yeah. That was awesome. So, uh, since I know Elijah's not going to listen to this podcast, um, thank God. Fuck. I don't want, yeah, I don't want your fucking <laughs> kid hearing my ass. Shit. 20 years down the road, maybe I'll let him listen to it. You know? Yeah. I had a hard enough time trying to mind my P's and Q's on the boat. yeah oh man so we were where were we oh we were at uh um bojangles on friday morning getting ready to leave yeah (laughs) and uh we're sitting in line and it's it's taken a long time like the line is wrapping around the building down the parking lot out into the street, into the suicide lane. People are making a left turn, and it's like lining up in the suicide lane to per- turn into Bojangles. That's and typical Bojangles si- morning, by the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and Elijah's in the back seat, and he's like, Papa, why is this taking so long? And I'm like, well, a lot of people want that food. And he goes, hurry the fuck up. And no, there, and no. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> get that out of your system before we get home. <laughs> you did that. You did that, Joshua. <laughs> I, was well, like, I will say, I don't blame him because the one thing that Bojangles can't be uh, accused of is being fast food. That's for damn sure. That's, yeah, a, well, that, that's a misnomer for, for Bojangles. It says something about it when they got 9,000 uh, establishments and the line's always wrapped around the block and people still go there. You know, It's got to mm-hmm. be something. Oh, it is. What did you end up getting? Um... I got a chicken biscuit, a sausage the Cajun biscuit. Filet. Oh, yeah, the Cajun Filet biscuit. That's a good choice. Yep. That's, a, that's yep. a staple Bojangle food. That's what I sent. In fact, we had, uh, oh, what was it, The Guardian last year. Um, we had Brittany, Mc, Brittany McMill, uh, McMillan comes all the time and uh, it's for the Guardian matches. I think North Carolina is one of her favorite places to come. Brittany, I love Brittany. If you're listening to this, Britt, you're the shit. Um, but we sent her, it was, uh, Saturday, it was a Saturday morning, day one, or I can't remember day two. She was hungry and mind you frontline defense is out in the middle of bumfuck, take a left North Carolina and Warrington. Um, yeah. but the closest thing is Bojangles, I think in Lewisburg. And we told her, sent her Bojangles, what the hell's a Bojangles? I said, Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah. you're definitely going to Bojangles now. I said, so yeah. what do I get? I said, well, I'm going to tell you what you're going to get. You're going to get the Cajun Flay biscuit. You're going to get a cheddar bow biscuit, which is just a cheese biscuit. And you're going to get, for dessert, you're going to get a bowberry biscuit, which is blueberry biscuits with icing, hot icing drizzled on the biscuit. You eat with a fork, uh, spork. That's the only thing you have there at Bojangles is sporks. Um, and she brought it back. And we, I think Gary videoed, uh, I think he videoed her first. It's like bites of it. She didn't eat it until she got back, and I, I could tell yeah. she, uh, yeah, she was enjoying it. And as that's does self defense, like or so uh, not self defense, uh, willpower. If she managed mm-hmm. to drive that oh, far, what, dude, and it's like a 25, 30 minute drive, bro. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. impressed. Yeah, me too. Because I would have yeah. definitely it'd have been gone before I even got back for sure. Um, my sausage biscuit didn't make it out of the parking lot after I left the window, and that was like. 20 feet yeah 
Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, I've been trying to get you to move to North Carolina for what three years now. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, yeah. You need to tell Anna to to just deal with it. Right. And, and, well. And, and move to to the south. Everything's better in the south, man. Well, we talked and we went and visited uh, Arizona, Phoenix. She had a um, conference back in January. And so, I remember. Um, yeah, so we went out and like uh, I the last day of her conference, I flew out and conned my mom into watching the boys for a couple days and uh, went out and we hiked up uh, Camelback Mountain. We went up um, Choya and down whatever the other trail is but we, you know we hiked across the whole thing and then ubered back and went out to dinner and um you know in phoenix and then drove up the next day up to uh sedona oh my god sedona is gorgeous like i i could live there <clears throat> and uh, her only argument against it was that the ocean's too far away so i'm thinking north carolina has some land. yeah i was about to say motherfucker i mean that's arizona Ain't nobody saying right. about Arizona. I'm talking about the actual South. I know Arizona's further <laughs> South than I am. That's I the know, West. But it's not the South. It is the Southwest. Completely yep. different. But yeah, y'all need to come here. Taxes are better here. Everything's better People here. I know right. as a whole. Well, I think so. I mean, Pennsylvania is full of fucking Quakers. So, I mean, unless you go to Schittsylvania, I mean, uh, the name Schittsburg <laughs> or, or Philadelphia. Um, then you should be fine as far as people. I mean, I, which I didn't really meet many people when I was up there and stayed with you last year, but the people I did meet, they were all really nice. But yeah, y'all, y'all still, I mean, you, it is you too get cold. closer to the city. Like I have to drive in um, to see my cardiologist several times a year. I go into Philadelphia and you go in there and I pay the parking valet. And I'm like, all right, you have a nice day. And I walk away and a guy gives me attitude. He's like, tell me what to do. Don't jerk. tell me what to do. Oh my god! Yeah, like, like, all right, you know, should you choose to have a nice day, I hope you really enjoy it. Yeah, fucking. You should say, "Well, I take that back. Eat shit." <laughs> yeah, right. I hope you die in a As fire. As I hand them the asshole. keys to my car, right? Yeah. I hope the Be fleas like, a thousand camels infest your crotch. <laughs> fucking dickhead. I hate dickheads for no reason, dude. And it's very rare you come across them down here, man. It's very rare you just come across that that asshole for no reason. Yep. I mean, unless you're driving, but that, that's everybody anywhere you go. But any in public or anywhere, you know, you you're up in if you go up in New York, like you don't look at nobody when you walk. You look down. You know, right. you. I speak to everybody I see down here. I, I don't know this motherfucker from Adam's dog. Hey man, what's going on? How's your mom and him? I don't I don't know you, but I'm all you know. That's how it is. How'd your mom and him? You know, that's, that's how it, I grew up. Like we were in, like we lived in town, but I spent basically all of my summers before I got a job in eighth grade. Before I had a job, I spent a vast majority of my summers up in the Finger Lakes. And this little tiny town, there might be three hundred people, right? And that was a good place. It was awesome. My my grandmother is coming up on ninety one. She's just left there um and she's moved down to lehigh valley but you know near my mom and you know she's 90 minutes from me instead of five and a half hours from me and um so you know i mean like you gotta take care of your family it's a lot more convenient for everybody when she's 40 minutes away as opposed to five hours away so sure but the shame of it is man the finger lakes region you know it's cold 
but you get real winters up there. Like she starts seeing snow in October. I cannot remember having a Christmas up there that did not have snow. And, you know, like a number of times we go to the, to some of the state parks up there, there's waterfalls. Waterfalls are rock solid. The water is pale green or the ice is pale green because there's a lot of copper in the water. And it's gorgeous. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful up there. The only problem is it's in New York State. Yeah, which that's a fucking shithole. So I think North, if there's anybody listening that's from New York City, I'm sorry, not sorry. But New York City (laughs) should be its own fucking state. And then I, I would hope it would just get kicked out of the fucking union just because even I, if you, even if you made it its own nice. state, you know, like upstate New York, it's it's the tail that wags the dog, you know, M- meaning Manhattan is the is the tail that wags the dog right. because there's so many people. It's so densely populated that Manhattan's not even the capital city. And it tells the rest of the state it's an enormous state like New York State is one of the biggest in the entire country. And it's huge on the East Coast. And the vast majority of it is not like, you know, the lower, you know, the the five boroughs and lower counties and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you can say the same thing for, you know, Chicago and L.A. I mean, those aren't the the capitals of the states. And yet that's like you said, the tail that wags the dog. And then whatever shits out of the ass of Chicago is running for the rest of the fucking state. You show me anywhere else in Illinois that looks like Chicago and I'll kiss your white ass. There's nothing like that, too. I mean, I I know. Yeah. Philadelphia is, you know, I don't remember how many people are in the state in the state total, but Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are the only class one metropolis in the state. Everywhere else is relatively small towns harrisburg i don't think harrisburg is a million people and that's our state capital yeah i will say the little (laughs) the little experience i have with pennsylvania when i came up there and stayed with you like coming into pennsylvania it was i was like oh my god this is this is fucking gorgeous like this i mean it was like what you it is what the stereotypical like mind picture is of the state of Pennsylvania. When you think of Pennsylvania, like I was fully expecting to see some Bamas with some fucking crazy beards and straw hats riding horse and buggy. And I think I did see one, but yeah, you know, just the the landscape is so beautiful. I mean, it's fucking gorgeous. If, If that's what you want to see, we'll go out to my range and, uh, we can dodge the black hat mafia on the way to the range and back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the black cat no i don't necessarily care to see the quakers that just one, you know it is what it is we run into them fine but no it's just the i mean I, north carolina is such a diverse state you can go to the beach like we were just at and you yeah. come to my part where it is flat as shit and you know heavily wooded a lot of ag fields stuff like that but super flat and then you go into like the 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 Piedmont region, um, the the center of the state, and it's super hilly. It looks a lot like, you know, what I'm talking about in Pennsylvania. Um, just more trees, I think. Um, and yeah. then you then you got the mountains. It's like you've got everything in one state. Um, but it's just it, it it was definitely different coming into Pennsylvania. It was just it was so gorgeous and the the little town. Uh, little towns I come into coming into close to uh, PVA 
it was it was really cool looking and it looked like a cool place to grow up it, you know that's a cool area it did but the problem is like we just said the the places that the the tails that wag those dogs i mean it's it ruins it for those states and the people in them because the the i have i feel very safe to say that the majority of the people that live in pennsylvania aren't like the people that live in those two cities at no, all it's not but right not but they're yeah but they're just so stacked on top of each other they're like fucking sardines in a can little comedy right. sardines and they they ruin the rest of the state and how many states are there like that i mean a, a yep. ton you know yep. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, a good friend of mine described Pennsylvania as Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and everything else in between is South Alabama, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, other other than the crops that grow in the fields and the accent that we don't have say the accent. Yeah, y'all don't have an yeah. accent. That's you, you don't. <laughs> it's not that you have an accent. It's that you don't have one at all. So the lack of an accent is an accent in and of itself. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But it, it, I mean, it's true. You know, generally, the gun laws are very good. Um, I'm sure our governor would change that in a heartbeat if he got even the slightest chance. Um, but you know, the folks are good around here and it's just, you know, it's hard to be in the business that I am that, you know, like the industry that we are, because there's so much political pressure on it and there's a lot of medical, there's a lot of aerospace in the area. It's very expensive to do what we do in this area and still remain competitive. Um, you know, and that, and it's just congested, you know, like I'm sitting on the balcony. We have this little balcony off of the one side of the house and it's quiet. But if I took my earbuds out right now, I could hear route 100, route 30, um, you know, Euclid Avenue, route 113. Like I could hear those roads and we're in the middle of this, you know, supposed pandemic. So there's really nobody out driving and I, I could still hear them you know, a couple miles away, I'm 75 yards from my neighbor's house in every direction. And, you know, for my wife who grew up in the city, you know, we live out borderline in the sticks for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it makes my skin crawl that, you know, if my neighbor's blinds were open, I could watch what they're, I could watch their TV. TV, Yeah. See what they're watching. (laughs) Yeah. Why pay for cable? Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Get a pair yeah. of binoculars. <laughs> yeah, well, you've been you've been to my house, man, a couple times, mm-hmm. and uh, if yep. if I walk outside, I'm probably gonna hear a bear fart or you know, coons eating my corn pile. <laughs> so get so. this, right? So for those listening, right, I stopped by David's house uh, for a couple minutes last week when I drove down because I was like ten minutes out of the way on the way down to the beach, and uh, Major meets us at the end of the driveway. Well, you got to keep in mind, too, my driveway is 1,100 linear feet. I'm about 400 yards from the highway. So, needless to say, he left the fucking front porch. Yeah, and he he was not supposed to be down there, right? So, Elijah's my six-year-old son, and, um, you know, I'm sure there's people who are listening who've met him. He's very sharp, and he's very precocious, and he talks a lot. So, we're on our way down, like six and a half hours into an eight and a half hour drive, eight hour drive. And he is just motoring away, right? We're doing great. We're making good time. And he goes, where are we going? Are we going to the beach? And I'm like, no, we're going to stop at Mr. David's house. I want to see his dog. And he goes, Oh, what kind of dog? Is he like Archie? 
is he a Welsh Spaniel? I'm like, no, he's a black wolf, right? Now, I said it as a joke. It's almost a week later. He is dead-ass convinced that you have a black wolf. And he He saw it and petted him. He does look like one. But you will not convince that six-year-old that you have a black German Shepherd. You have a black wolf, and he played catch. I finally had to tell him on the boat the next day that it he's not a wolf. He, he is a German Shepherd, and I, I still don't think he – I think he's like, nah, homie, it's, he's a wolf. I, Daddy doesn't tell <laughs> yeah. me he's a wolf. You ain't going to lie to me, bro. <laughs> yeah. He's looking at you like, whoever told you that got you good because that's a wolf. <laughs> right, and so then behind you comes a contractor that I, I don't have any neighbors. I, I'm literally in the middle of a cornfield, but the, the lot in front of me – which it's another eight acre lot. It did sell and they're going to be building their bear. Look, I, if I couldn't have picked better neighbors, there are, he's air force. His name is Bobby. He's an air force veteran. He's got tattoos like me. He's got, he listens to the same bluegrass music. He plays the banjo there. We're in a similar age. Uh, he's got a six year old son. He's got a new newborn baby. Awesome fucking dude. I can't wait to drink beers with that guy when I move in, if I'm going to have neighbors. Right. But so his contractor pulls in because he, he's they're gonna start digging the footings this week uh, out there, and as and Major's coming. I, I like when Josh pulls up. Josh gets out and has Major's Kong in his hand. I like, well, there's Major's Kong. Where the fuck is Major? Yeah. And he said he's up there with that truck up the road. And so I start whistling <laughs> and I see because like the field in front of me has not been cut. And it's probably waist high. And so I whistle. Then all of a sudden I see these black ears just kind of popping up, up and over the stuff, running towards me. Jump. He ate shit in the ditch because he didn't see it. <laughs> and then yeah. and then he starts coming up and then the truck pulls up. And uh, he's like, do you, he asked me, he said, did you have, or did you breed him? And it, I don't know why at the time I thought he meant that I produce major. Did I? I breed the the litter that produced major. I don't know why my brain thought that, but that's where I was too busy, like, but baffled that why the fuck are you all the way up the damn front of the road, asshole? But uh, talking about the dog, but uh, and I was like, no, I said I got him from Slovakia when he was eight weeks old, and he was like, oh, well, I had I had a black female that her dad was name was Major, and I was like. Oh, you meant, okay, yeah. He said, yeah, do you know Fontana? I said, Angie Fontana? I said, yeah, she's like family to me. My dog was is your dog's daddy. And it was such a small world moment that it, it was like, I don't know this dude from shit. But yeah, right. he had one of my dog's puppies, and he was like, yeah, I had her. I, we had her till she was two and a half, and then we had to get rid of her. She was just too much and uh, too aggressive and and uh, you know, too, too, too high a prey drive. He says, if she would behave like he is right now we still have her i said well he's also seven and a half and uh i've put a lot of blood sweat and tears in this dog and he's you know yeah. and uh but i was like you wanted you were looking for a pet you you, you wanted a punch bug but you end up got, getting a ferrari so this goes back to one of my last uh, what was it episode 11 or something like that about getting a working dog this guy wanted a run-of-the-mill german shepherd dog like just a a, a pet he ended up getting one of my dog's puppies and couldn't right. last two and a half years with her. And right. he, he uh, ended up getting an alligator with fur. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Just a, nothing but a fucking mouth. And yep. uh, but, that, and that's you know, the thing. Like we, you know, like you've met Archie, right? He's a sweet oh, little yeah. thing. Archie's a Welsh man. Springer. 
right? He's my go everywhere buddy. Well, right now he's not, which I know he he's like he pouts and he gives me those eyes like, you know, screw you, you neglected me and left me home. But him and mm-hmm. him and Elijah together loose in the shop unsupervised is mayhem. Like oh, okay. I, you know, they, they just they got to be separated. So Well, when I was at the shop, I supervised the two of them. So it was in the Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. Y'all get you know, you know what we're dealing with here. Right. So, but but the thing is with him, like I have never seen a prey drive for something that has wings. Like we don't have every year, you know, we live on a long easement. We got like a hundred yard long pipeline easement next to my house, which is another point of contention that's pain in the ass. But um, <laughs> every year when the, when the uh, weather changes, you know, it gets cold out in the fall. We get a bunch of field mice in the house and it, you know, there's always a dozen of them or so I put traps out and like clockwork for three or four days, pop, pop, pop. We get, we get them right. Well, we get Archie when he's like eight weeks old and he starts chasing flies and snatching flies out of the house, out of the air that are within the reach of a, you know, a seven pound puppy. And I'm like, uh Oh, what did we do? Right. Like <laughs> I've seen a dog that'll snatch birds out of the air before. And he was just unbelievable. I mean, he's, you know, and it like the, the kind of drive that uh, Major has for a ball. That's what Archie mm. has for something with wings. Oh, yeah. And <clears throat> he just can't help himself. Like right now, so the shop, he's relatively tame. You know, it's his territory, but there's no windows. There's always noise in there. He sleeps, you know, like wherever I'm at. And he's got three freaking beds around the shop in my high probability areas. But if I'm in a place like I got to go to the bathroom. I sit down in the bathroom and close the door. And then a second later, I see shadows under the door and boom, a butt. There's a dog butt and a tail that's halfway stuck <laughs> under the door. He's not going anywhere, right? Well, at home, because there's windows and there's noises and stuff outside, he, you know, there's a doggy door. He takes off. He sprained his left paw, like his left wrist on the front. And he will not get the fuck off it. So we've already had one vet bill from him. And they're like, oh, keep him calm. He'll be fine. He's a little thought. And we're like, he's not. No, it's springtime. Birds are out. There's birds chirping. There's birds nests in the the flower beds. Like he's going to lose his mind. So he spent the last four days, most of it either on a leash being held, you know, like close to us in the house or in the laundry room where with the dryer running, like the dryer just has clothes in it. It's a good towels with, uh, you know, instead of dryer sheets, um, Anna got these like spiky balls. They look like, you know, a, a ball for rolling out a knot after working out. Throw a couple of them in, right? It, and it, all it is, it's just white noise to keep him oh, calm yeah. because, you know, he's hurt himself now and he keeps making it worse and worse and worse. Freaking dumbass won't calm the hell down until he heals and he feels the littlest bit better. And then, bam, he's he out puts the door, himself out right the back where he was. Yep, and he takes one flying leap off the back deck, hurts himself, and then proceeds to run around on three legs, yapping and chasing birds. I'm like, dude, you caught one, okay? It's not going to happen again. <laughs> that, was, that was your time in the sunlight. <laughs> it's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And see, and you and you didn't teach that. This goes back to what I talked no. about a lot in, in and that we podcast. Can't stamp it out either. Like right. he that is really well. 100% genetics. 
That's that yep. it is innate in that dog. And the fact is that that's what the genetics are for that dog in that breed. And you, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no, re, no real going against that. It, it is just, you have to learn how to shape that. Now, if you were a bird hunter, if you were a, say a pheasant hunter and he got the, uh, the, uh, opportunities to go do that type of work, and the train got the training and learned how to how to do it do it properly and everything. Then he'd have that kind of an outlet. But you know you don't pheasant hunt. You haven't trained him to pheasant hunt. So it's he yeah, he's most- he's trying to get that outlet and, and he doesn't have it. And that's why it's manifesting like this. It goes the same thing with a working dog. They don't get their outlet. They're going to find their outlet and it's normally never what you want. So yeah. that's, that well, just goes again. You can't go against the genetics. You can't go against yeah. genetics. Nope. We, you know, we, we talked about exactly that. Like a lot of the stuff you covered in that episode 11 or 12, whatever it was on a working dog, you know, you told me that a year and a half ago or more because I was spending huge long hours at the shop. We have all of this investment. We have all these, you know, like, not only is it guns, it's other people's guns that we're working on. Right. And I'm like, you know, <clears throat> it's not enough for me to be there at 11 o'clock at night and carrying a pistol. I don't know that there's a problem when I'm wearing headphones, I'm, I'm jamming out, and like some of my employees will walk up to me in, in the middle of the day. This scare the crap out of me because yeah, I Yeah, you're know- in the zone. Yeah, you're in the zone. Exactly. But Archie is never in the zone. When he's in the zone, he knows everything that's going on. The problem is he's 35 pounds and he has a soft mouth. That, as you put it, he wouldn't bite a ham sandwich mm-hmm. unless well, it has wings. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So you know, so we talked about that at length. I was seriously considering getting a dog like Major, but then you know, little kids in the house and and kind of hours that I'm working and everything else. It's, and and that's, that's the biggest fit. that's the biggest uh, catch is the the hours you're working and uh, I mean it's yeah it's a multi part investment your time I mean your money for that type of dog is definitely a substantial investment but also and I think and to me more so your time investment you 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 work a lot of hours eighty hour weeks doing what you do. And then, you know, I, I know I've been on the phone with you when you or actually I was with you when you've gone and picked up kids, dropped them off or brought them to the shop and got back to work, you know, right. uh, cranking out barrels. And it that doesn't lend itself to be to be able to spend that time. Is it possible? Yeah, you could do it, Josh. You could. But it it would be just another thing on your plate something taking you away from your two kids and your wife and, and even the business. And it, it is, is equally, if not more so a time investment thing than it is a, a monetary investment. And could you and your business and your, your family uh, benefit from having a protection dog? Absolutely. Of course, of course it would. Um, but at what cost you get what I'm saying? Okay. The, the, yep. A dog, if Archie, look, Archie don't have to bite anybody. Archie nope. needs to let daddy know. Archie needs to let you know somebody's coming, somebody's here, 
if you're in the shop at 10 o'clock at night because you promised a guy that you'd get his barrel cranked out the next day and you're the last one there, Joe's gone home, everybody's gone home, and right. it, it's just you. Hey, it's good to have that somebody to just, hey, t- just kind of like a kid tugging on your shirt. Hey, daddy. Hey, hey, get your uh-huh. attention and turn then, you know, that that's great. That is a a very good um you know asset to have in that situation. You do you have to have some man eater to go and just take care of it for you? No, because what if what if Joe left his cell phone, couldn't call you, and he came in and it and he you know or something like that, right? Or right. or or heaven forbid Hannah uh, Anna came in and had uh, uh food for you or something. You know you you don't want that that drama. You don't want that right. problem. So well that it, and you know we have a couple of really helpful um like uh i've i've had the cops have called the cops on me four or five times at late hours i was working on a a rifle for um a friend of mine on the uh usa shooting team it's like two o'clock in the morning and i'm trying to get this thing done so that we can have it you know off ready so that she can get some training done before she went to the world cup two years ago Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I get a, hey, you know, U- Upper Euclid Police, and the guy walked in, and he's trying to figure out what's going on, because I had brought my wife's car to the shop, he didn't recognize it, 2 o'clock in the morning, there's a car parked at the wrong entrance, and, you know, it wasn't supposed to be there, Right. and the door was unlocked, you know, so, you know, if, it, and Major doesn't know him, if Major's going to go after him, then I've got a problem with as well as yeah, you've got a dead dog you've got a dead dog <clears throat> that you got right that's that's yeah. bottom line you know we all know look no offense to any cops in this but we all know cops love to shoot dogs <laughs> it's like especially atf good lord knows atf inspection they're gonna shoot you <laughs> feel just a, a freaking inspector could come shoot your dog they're not even the SWAT team <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what we we've been inspected a couple of times and the field agent who's come out to see us um her hobby is dock dogs like dock jumping dogs. Oh yeah. And you know, the, the last inspections, like she was very thorough on the inspection, but the way the inspection went was that's all the guns in the inventory on the table. Right. She's like, she's sitting there with a list and a red pen. She goes, okay, show me this serial number. Meanwhile, Archie's curled up in her lap, trying to stick his tongue as far as he possibly can into her ear. And I'm like, dude, give her a fucking break. Yeah. But you could tell, like, you could tell a dog person from somebody who, who's oh, yeah. not, even somebody who's not a dog person, isn't scared of them, but like kind of ambivalent. There's a big difference between them and somebody who's like, oh my god, puppy time, you know? Right. Oh yeah. Look, I posted. Look, when I was up there, the only picture I posted from uh, from the shop up there was a picture of me and Archie, and he was doing just that. Bam was licking me in the ear, and I think he was cleaning out like three year old wax out of my ear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yep. Yeah, Dad, he, this guy's cool. He can stay. He's got treats. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Nice uh, butter, ear butter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's he's a good pup though. Yeah, we had some good time at the, the house watching uh, watching TV, and he was sitting there hanging out with us. He's a good, good pup, man. You got you got you a good one. Um, yeah. I'm glad it worked out that way. Cause I remember when you got him, and the, you were, you you and and Anna both were really excited about him. And uh, I'm glad yep. it worked out. Um, but yeah. anyway, so yeah, P- PVA and shit. Um, the, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Yeah, PV- right. Yeah, forty 
three minutes later. Uh, which, hey, like I said, my podcast, uh, it can be a 30-minute podcast or it can be a two-and-a-half-hour podcast. I don't know. Don't care. And hey, people are well, you know, the optimal listening time period is an hour. You know what? And pause the shit and listen to it when you get back in a damn truck or a car. I don't give a right. fuck. You know, Joe Rogan ain't yeah. got no damn time limit. Three hours, maybe. But, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know the conversation you. goes. Podbean has a fast forward button. Hey, right. Exactly. You don't like what we're talking about. Just fast forward. It sounds like you're something you want to listen to. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, so uh, some of the newest stuff of PBA is the um, Seneca line of uh, solids. They are yeah. BC monsters for their weight class and caliber oh my god they are i I, i'll tell you my experience i'm looking at 300 of them right here on my shelf i haven't loaded any of them up yet because i was breaking in and dialing in this dasher for the match and everything um and uh, just with what i'm going to shoot all the time and uh but we did 95s or hundreds i got the 95s okay um because well, because this remember this barrel on my my Hancock is a, a seven and a half, and the barrel the dasher barrel for my AI you're cutting is a seven, so that's what I'm gonna try some hundreds out in. But uh, I, Jeff did um he did shoot some, and let me tell you, I witnessed it. It was a point two two group at six hundred. 30 yards i think it was a 630 yard at our at a our range um pack precision shooting um yep. but uh oh it i was, saw the pack water tower on friday driving home. oh oh yeah <laughs> old pack bro that's i mean you blink you miss it um yep. we got the pack we got the pack light not to get off subject but that's kind of the mo here at just seven send it um the pack light there's a train track. There's a place you go. The Pac-12 light. The legend is, is a, I'm going to fucking butcher it. I, I've seen it. I have seen it myself. No one has been able to explain what it is, but allegedly someone lost their head on the train track, passed out with their head on the track. And this was back in like the 1800s. We had a lantern. And still to this day, if you go out there at night, you will see a light. And you can walk it down. You can try to walk it down and find it. It like the light keeps moving. Like it's just always stays out. You don't find you don't catch up to the light. It's just it's always moving. And that's it's pretty creepy. crazy. But that that's Pactolus is uh he's looking for his head, man. That's that's Pactolus's thing, is the Pactolus light. Uh, so if you just yell at him, you're like, Hey dude, I got your head over here. That's I don't think it's gonna work. Well if <laughs> well if you think about it, if you which if you really think about it, if he's got a light and he's missing his head, how is he going to – what good is a light doing? But also, if you did have his head, you're yelling at his ears right there in front of you. How are you going to yell to the body for him to hear you? So, I mean, what's yeah. the – where's the reasoning in that? But anyway, uh, these solids are are true to their BC. Uh, in fact, I think we had to bump the BC up a little bit. I can't remember. I think to get dead center waterline impacts, I think we had at a 980, we had to bump up the BC a little bit. But I mean, so I with, now mind you, you this is with zero load development. This is zero load development. You know, Jeff shoots 95 SMKs in his dasher all the time. He literally took his current 95 SMK charge weight, 
and jumped the bullets. Tw- I don't even know if he even adjusted the daggone seat and die. I think he just threw them in and just, <laughs> I'm just going to shoot some of them. And then they printed this little, literally one whole group at a hundred and then a 0.22 group. Uh, it was like a two, it actually, I think it was like a two inch group at 630 yards. It was a retarded ass group and it, they are true to their, to their BC. They are wind cheaters for every sense of the word. Um, and then those are the little 95s. Those are the lightest ones that you've got so far. Have you, have you, done, have you messed with the 22s yet? Yeah. Well, I made two 22s. Um, one's a hunting bullet, one's a match bullet. And the hunting bullet was made for, uh, one of the high volume dealers that we have out in, uh, South Dakota. Pardon me one second. <laughs> Bless you. Coronavirus. Coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Put me on a ventilator, get the hospital some extra money. Thirty-nine thousand, you die. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, you got the hunting twenty-two. Yeah. So we got which the mind you, 22. which mind you, everybody, the 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 hunting line of the uh, uh, solids. Those those BCs are retarded. They're higher than the uh, you know your jacketed um, same weight class uh, match bullets. So yeah, we, we have a, just load these up to shoot matches with and hunt with in the same charge weight, like you it's your same load. So you can have that do all bullet because they do work and we have seen them on game. Yeah, that well, that was one of the things like the some of the hunting bullets came before the match bullets and some of the match bullets came before the hunting bullets like. For example, the six and a half grain, 122 grain Cayuga, that bullet was designed specifically for like 6.5 Creedmoor and hot 6.5 PRCs, like shorter barrels, 6.5 PRC. Guy's gonna, you know, pack out a, you know, an 18 or 20 inch barrel. He wants to run a tie can on it. Like he's looking for weight kind of thing, right? Yeah, right. Like you have an 18 inch PRC. Yours is just made out of a truck axle. Yes. Yeah. But, but the goal there was, you know, we had to have something that was an eight twist, always eight twist stable, not eight twist at zero DA or minus 500 feet. Like mm-hmm. I have a very good friend who lives um, just outside of Fairbanks, Alaska. And by just outside, I mean, I think he's like three hours from town in Alaska. That's just outside. Oh, yeah. Well, I sent him bullets in October and he's like, yeah, they shoot pretty good. But the group's like. You know, I can't seem to get better than about three quarter minute. And when I shot him at 300 yards, the holes were oblong. I'm like, oh, that's not good. That's an instability problem. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the atmosphere? He goes, yeah. He's like, oh, it's like 17 degrees out here. And uh, in our, you know, we're 173 feet above sea level. Oh, OK. There's the problem. So work on the bullet a little bit. Send him some more bullets. Shorten it up some. And I and this time instead of making you know 200 of them, I made a thousand of them. Like these these are gonna these are gonna work, right? No problem. I sent some to him. I sent some to Jeff Wood. Jeff Wood in the meantime he lives out in Utah in you know like 5,000 feet above sea level. He smokes three elk with them and absolutely just hammered them. Stomps these things. Yeah. That was out of a Creedmoor. <laughs> yep, that was a Creedmoor. That was a soft load too. Because I told him I was like, look. I'll send you 30 bullets because I was really short on bullets. I was like, I'll send you 30 bullets and 20 pieces of brass. Here's the load that I shot. 
and it was soft. It was like 41 and a half grains at age 4350. I had no idea what the pressure limit was on it at that time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I was out at, at Peterson and I had some ammo with me and they were kind enough to let me throw a couple rounds through the pressure test barrel. Dude, this load was like 38,000 PSI. It was nothing. Oh, yeah. And we're still going 2880, you know. But Well, that's so what you want in a hunting load too, though, right? Because <laughs> you don't know what your conditions you're going to run into. You don't know what kind of crap is going to end up in your chamber possibly. Right. I mean, that's yep. ideal for hunting. Yeah, it is. And, you know, like we've pushed them like direct substitution. I took H4350, it took the same load, and I just swapped in the same charge weight of Varget. And it went from like 2860 or 2880 to 3150. Mm-hmm. And it was warm weather safe, but it wasn't hot weather safe. I don't think it was water safe. And that's the thing right. about hunting. Like, I know guys are like, oh, well, when it's cold out, that's when I'm hunting. So I'm going to load the ammo hot. That way I get better wind on it. Like, so let's say you pick up 50 feet per second, right? You go yeah, run the thousand yards for 50 feet per second. <laughs> it doesn't yep. mean shit. But at the same time, when we hunt in the cold, chances are there's some kind of frozen moisture on the ground. You get a drop of water in your chamber, and that cold weather safe ammo is now blowing primers. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a big fan in general of overloading ammo just because, like, you run the ballistics on it, and drop is largely ignorable, you know, meaning, like, we're going to run. We don't run a dope card anymore, right? We run a ballistic solution. And, you know, you could sit here, we could talk for hours about the things about ballistic calculators, right? But there's probably 50 different ballistic solutions in common use um, in in our circle of friends. And some guys are running four different solutions and wondering why they got three different answers, you know? Yeah. So the, the drop, who cares? Right. We don't care. The deer doesn't know if it got hit, you know, with 8.1 mils or got hit with 8.6 mils a drop. doesn't matter. What it does know is that the bullet went through and it broke both shoulder blades and it spalled all of the internal organs with bone fragments and it exited the other side. And you've got a nice double blood trail and no lungs, no heart. Everything's bleeding internally. And, you know, and and they kill. They do a great job at it. So. All that being said, we took the six and a half bullet and we got it what I call Fairbanks safe. Meaning right. that in January in Fairbanks, John took him out in a six five Creedmoor and he shot him slow, like twenty seven hundred feet per second slow. They printed a sub one inch group at three hundred and thirty yards with no load development. Yep. So then from there, I said, All right, so we updated the nose. I put it I took the same tail, the bearing surface, the bearing surface location, the pilot location, all that stuff. All the stuff that actually interfaces with the cartridge and the rifling. That stayed the same, and I put a new nose on it, and I made it a match bullet. And so that's where the 124s came from. So the cool thing about that is you can take your, let's say you started with hunting bullet, and you decided you're going to run that hunting bullet in your Creedmoor. But it's match season. You want to shoot. Go, you know, go try a match, right? Well, you could shoot with the, you know, the dollar hunting bullets. I'm not going to complain, but the match bullet, which is a lot less expensive because it has less machine time in it, because it doesn't have a hollow point drilled. You don't have to change your seating die. You don't have to change your load any. 
because the load's not going to change from, you know, two extra grains of powder and the nose is not truncated anymore. So you don't have to change your seating die. All the part of the bullet that interacts with the die that interacts with the bore, all of that's the same. You just load it up, swap it out direct and your, your overall length will change. You know, your base to tip length changes because instead of being truncated, you know, for a hollow point, now it's, you know, out to a, um, a very, very minutely blunted nose. But that makes it really easy for guys. You can load the match bullets, you can load the hunting bullets, even though there's two different case overall lengths, you're effective, what, you know, not really base to O-Gyve, but if you, if you consider it a base to O-Gyve length, um, that's basically the same thing. And the bullet's the same sitting in there. So it's, it's very easy to do. Well, that one was where we took the hunting bullet, we turned it into a match bullet. The, uh, the other way is also true. <clears throat> We've taken a known good match bullet, an awesome match bullet, and turned it into a hunting bullet. Um, for example, the 210 grain 30 caliber. I took the same pilot band, bearing surface, tail, etc. All of the stuff from the nose, you know, but, yeah, it's behind the nose off of the 198 Seneca. And the 198 Seneca has just a, you know, I mean, until very recently, until I did some other, you know, kind of fiddling with it um, mm -hmm. to stretch it out, the 198 was ridiculous. Like, it's a it's a sub-200 grain class 30 caliber, and the only bullet on the market that ever had a higher BC than it was the 250 A-tip. The 250 A-tip that came out this past summer finally managed to eclipse it it was like by by like three percent got more bc than it yeah, 250 with, grains with yeah with fit yeah with 52 more grains right yeah so you know i know guys shooting 250s out of like 300 prc 300 norma and you know they're kind of high-fiving each other yeah man i got i got 2820 i got 2850 i'm like congratulations my 308 shoots a 198 at 2835 yeah Exactly. Now you also competed uh, in the uh, Night Force. Was it the Night Force ELR match? Yeah. Yep. And you so, shot a three. You're the only dumbass out there with a 308, and you got there spanking bamas with it, and uh, and turning heads out there with a 308. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, I, was, we I did, thought I was awesome, dude. Yeah, we did pretty well uh, with that. And then this past year, I took a 300 WSM, and I shot very poorly. Um, but you know, that 198 and the 300 WSM is just, it's just medicine. awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and I, I did, I took the 198 and I, so that's a nine twist bullet. And, um, I gave it like the, uh, the Cadillac stretch limo job, right? I stretched it out just in front of the pilot band. I left the nose alone, left the pilot band, the bearing surface and the tail alone. It's really the cheap way of doing it, right? This is how, you know, a lot of bullet companies have made heavier jacketed bullets for a long time. You know, you take a 175 Sierra and you look at a 190 Sierra and you put the tails next to each other and they're the same. You put the noses next to each other. They're the same. You look at the 210 Sierras and the noses are the same. And you're like, oh, all they're doing is shoving more lead in the middle of it. Right. Yeah. So making it longer. I took the I took the easy way out. We had something with a screaming high BC and I'm like, all right, well, nine twist 30 calibers are coming online. Guys are shooting PRCs, wind mags and Norma mags. And, 
you know, 300, you know, 30 Shermans and stuff like that. And they're getting nines. They're also getting eights and eight fives. So I fiddled with an eight twist. Turns out that's 212 grains. And I had some seven twist barrels on the shelf that were left over from a project that I did on a bunch of like Remage pistol barrels and 300 blackout. And a uh, company I did those for, I'd, I'd ordered like 40 blanks and I think we had 10 left on the shelf. Um, they never, you know, they never ended up finishing all their orders out because they didn't need them. They, they went to five twists. Um, so here I am, I got these blanks and I was like, I gotta try this thing. So I, <laughs> I, I was like, let's see how, he- you know, how long we can go and what it, what does it look like in a seven twist? And I got to the point I'm playing with it in the CAD model and I got to 240 grains and I'm like, yeah, I'm done. You know, like. I don't need a 255 grain 30 caliber bullet. Right. You know, 241 grains was fine. How much and, BC uh, can you really need? Uh, yeah. Out of 30 yeah. caliber. Right. And and the other thing at 241 grains, so it was really close. It was actually a 239 grain bullet. And I looked at it and I have a CAD model that I built of um, a long action AICS mag and a 300 WSM case. And I was getting ready to cut 300 WSMs for some clients. Anyway, I was like, screw it. We're going to do this, right? So I made the bullet, and I figured out where it's seated in the land optimally in my 300 WSM reamer. And um, it would work in a seven twist. And, you know, like everything worked together, 240 grains, right? 2.05 inch long 30 caliber bullet, mm. which is longer, is longer than a lot of people's 375s. Oh, yeah. Right? So, kind of backed my way, extrapolated the BC out. The BC's like well over 1.1. You know, the mm. G7's like 0.550. So, <laughs> I set the Swiss up. I made, I think, 30 bullets. And, you know, Swiss is running, got that done. And this is one of those days where it was like, it was early February. I just needed a break from doing all of the normal stuff. Yeah. Basically took a day off and experimented. Some fun some fun stuff. Yep. Yep. So we made the bullets and I made some 198s to break the barrel in cuz I didn't have any heavy 30 caliber bullets at all um, at the shop. So I ran some 198s off, loaded them up, took Joe to the range and we, you know, slayed some steel with 65s and you know, he's got a new rifle that we built him, and, and he did that. And, uh, and I was like, all right, it's time. So burned down a couple of 198s, cleaned the barrel, and started with the 241s. And it's just like, it's a different caliber, you know? I mean, like the 198 and the 398. Well, it shoots outside of its class. I mean, it shoots. It does. I mean, that's no really yeah. other way to put it other than it doing that. It does not shoot with other 30 cals. It goes above that. I was holding, I was dialing less elevation change from 100 to 700. And I was just shooting them fast. I was shooting these like right just above 2,800 feet per second. This is out of the wisdom, right? This is out of the wisdom, yep. 100 yards, zero, 700 yards. I had less elevation on the turret than two weeks earlier when I had a 375 Shaytac at the range mm. and I was shooting my 360 grain bullets at 2,900 feet per second. Mm. 
and and you know we put together a group at 700 yards you could cover with my driver's license i was like well those are going on the website yeah <laughs> we're, we're done we're done here folks that'll do big that'll do yep yeah i mean that this is something that i mean you got you it's getting from, I'm not as in tune with the ELR world as 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 I am with uh, the you know the precision rifle uh, side of the house, but what I have seen is it's people are they're wanting to go smaller caliber, high BC and fast. This is your ticket. This is this is your this is your baby. This is what you can go to now, and you have this option that's built basically specifically for this and it's yeah. it's good i mean as far as 30 cows absolute game changer oh absolutely i mean it's got 25 percent more ballistic coefficient than than the next closest competitor that isn't my bullet and the costs are not outrageous i think they're like a dollar fifty a projectile but when you think about it like dollar fifty projectiles expensive right yeah but my 300 WSM outshoots a 375 Shaytac, and I'm doing it with 65 grains of reloader 26. The brass is like 95 cents a piece because I'm shooting Hornady brass. Oh, the yeah. barrel, the action, all that stuff. Like I literally so it all comes cook. out in the wash still cheaper than <laughs> if a, a, a solid. I mean, you, when you're looking at it, every time you pull a trigger, you hear ka-ching. It's, you know, depending on the size of of the cartridge you're shooting is going to determine how loud that cha-ching actually is. So, you know, yeah, the bullets are, are expensive. That's, that's fine. But you're where you're getting in bullet, you're saving in a lot of other places though. And also yeah. you're saving in recoil. I mean, that's Absolutely. another thing you're saving Absolutely. in recoil. So it's, 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 uh, it's got a higher shootability if I sh- could say that, uh, and, that, which makes it appealing. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, and it's it's attainable too, right? Because like, let's say you wanted that Shaytac. Well, a Shaytac is a ten thousand dollar investment. Mm-hmm. The moment you say I'm doing a Shaytac, even if you're going to pull a scope off of another gun, Yo, just you the got rifle. The, just the rifle, the reloading dies because a set of reloading dies for a Shaytac isn't fifty nine ninety nine. They're oh, four hundred dollars. Yeah. Oh, you need it's a shell. You gotta pay to play, man. You gotta pay to play, That's bro. Right. Absolutely. Go to big dogs. And we and we play there. You know, we've got big bullets for big guns too. But the recoil level, the amount of powder that's used, the brass is four bucks a piece. I mean, like it, the Shaytac does things that a three hundred wisdom will never do. Energy mm-hmm. on target is one of those things. Oh yeah. But if you're just going out, you're kind of like the hobbyist, right? Dude, I got a 700-yard range. I belong to a place that's got a mile. The Shaytac is a monster at a mile. The 300 WSM, it's still a monster at a mile, but I don't need to spend... I don't need to, you know, to shoot $8 bills to shoot a mile. I can shoot $3 instead. Right, and so it, it, it then steps into a whole new purpose, meaning, like, the guy, like, let's say that I wanted to, I mean, my biggest caliber I got is a 300 win mag, but my entry into this, if I got the bug and say I had a place to shoot out to distance to train and practice and, and true and all that stuff, 
it would be my a much easier gateway drug into that game. It would be a lot easier for me to to do that and not well. I can't afford to do all this other these other type of shooting that I want to do if I'm doing this because it costs so much. So right. I mean, what I would do if I was getting this, I would take CL's freaking 30 inch barreled rum. He's got a 300 rum and he's throwing them two thirties. <laughs> he's throwing them two thirties at a god awful speed. Uh, and I would do just that. I would throw these bullets in into that and then. I mean, hey, you, you talk about an, an ass spanker that that rum with that bullet would be an ultimate 30 caliber entry to ELR type stuff. I mean, it's, yep. you know, uh, uh, my buddy Scott Armstrong, his dad, uh, was it, I think his name is John. Uh, he did what got third at a like. Uh, King of Two Mile with a seven, or King, yeah, it was either King of Two Mile or another one to right before NRA uh, with a, a seven STW. It's, it's his fucking hunting rifle. Yeah, it's his hunt, and he did it with a freaking yep. a jacketed bullet. Could you imagine yep. if it was a 300 rum and 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 oh, and he also had like a what a 12 or a 15 powered fucking SWFA super sniper, uh, fixed power scope. And he and he kicked much ass uh, with well, that. You know? you know, like they say, the man that be wary of the man that owns only one rifle, rifle. Knows, how to yep. use it. knows how to use it. And you know, you do that, you can take your 300 rum and and you know, or you know, anything of that sort. And that that you've got a gateway into it. No, you're not going out there and probably fucking with the 50s or the 40 eights or the four sixteens and stuff, but damn if you ain't gonna be able to get into it and really uh carry your own and then maybe you want to step up from there instead of dropping that ten thousand dollar initial investment before you even pull a trigger. Right. And you know what I'm saying? So it, it has Absolutely. that capability. You know, just like we were talking um and I talked more with Jeff and C L about it too. And my buddy in Charleston, you know, like I've wanted a boat for a long time, but me going out and buying a boat like Jeff's, a, it's not in the cards financially, but B, like how boat. much am I really going to use it? Right. Right. Living up and in PA. <laughs> exactly. Like, yes, I could tow the thing to New Jersey and we could put it in the water there and then we could go offshore and we can go to the fish and catch dead Jersey. bodies out of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> right coney island whitefish <laughs> yeah <laughs> right that could all be done at the same time but let's say you know i do it three times a year well that Is same analogy that works investment? for shape yeah it's not right it because doesn't pay like, off exactly like a few years ago about four years ago now alan warner and dan warner and i we're kind of like we had done a lot of work with John O'Neill from 50 West Armory and the 14.9 SOP. And we had just finished shooting 40, almost 4,800 yards, 4,700 plus yards. We were breaking rocks on the other side of a canyon near Las Vegas. And it was awesome, right? We're all high fiving each other. Right. This is great. And, uh, and, you know, so that's where the 375 Warner was born. Was, was wanting something that was more attainable, more reasonable, and king of two miles capable. Because we ran the ballistics, and we're like, 
you know, 375s don't go two miles unless the BC is at least 0.53. And at the time, it, we still have the highest BC 375 grain bullet. But um, at the time, you know, my highest BC was like a, it was a 360 grain bullet with a, like a 4.9. Like, we're not getting there. You have to shoot that bullet at 3,900 feet oof, per oof. second. Mm-mm. Right? It ain't going to happen. Even with a short and chop down 50, I think the best we ever did was like 3,600. And that's where the 400 grainer came in. And the 400 grainer, you know, Dan and I have called that the triple nickel for a couple years because the G7 is like 555. That was the acoustic number that I came up with. And then when they put it over the Doppler, it came back at 552. I'm like. Man, it messed up up that saying, (laughs) that cool catchphrase with it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But, you know, that's a two-mile capable 375. It's mm-hmm. built off a of 50 case. It looks like, a, you know, it's a very similar to, like, a, a 375, 416 Barrett. Right. Uh, but that gun is $900 blank, $400 muzzle blade break, you know, uh, $1,300 stock. It's got the normal trigger. It's got an $800 bipod. It, you know, like the dyes that involve with it, the brass is six bucks a piece for the for the brass. And then it's got 12 steps. Including- I was about to say, then you, then you got to work it. So how much is your time worth? Yeah. Right. So it's thirty dollar a piece brass. Like you pull the trigger on that gun. It costs about fourteen dollars. That doesn't include any of the barrel wear or any of the components. That's a fourteen dollar cartridge. Well. I've shot it a total of 37 rounds. It's cool. It is oh, awesome. Yeah. I mean, it is Ass the only gun. It is, it is one of two guns I've ever shot that does zero to 1,000 yards in less than a second. Flight time to 1,000 yards is 0.99 seconds on that gun. It's probably the biggest one, the one that gave you the biggest stiffy, too, when you pull the trigger. No, the 14.9 was. When I was shooting shooting a 20 pound propane cylinder at 2,400 yards, like it was 50 yards away, that that one made it hard to lay down on. Oh, yeah. It made your pants (laughs) tight, super tight. Yeah. Only a little bit. I mean, I'm not that talented. So. Worn down. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like like Frank Galley likes to say, he goes, well, if we're gonna have a dick measuring contest, I'm gonna win because we're gonna measure from the ground. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um but I mean it is cool, but unless I'm in Las Vegas, you know, that area out in the desert on some private property, I don't have anywhere to shoot it. Oh yeah, I have, exactly action i have two barrels i have a stock a trigger a break and the ability to make as many bullets as i want and i think 300 pieces of brass sitting up at dan's shop so that al could turn them into the cases for me right because it it is a 12 step it's drawing them open and annealing then drawing then closing it back down then trimming then boring the necks and turning the necks so the right side there's 12 steps to make mm-hmm. that brass mm-hmm. i have not built the gun yet because i bought all the parts everything's here this is awesome and by the time i got everything in i realized it's been eight months and i've shot the gun 37 rounds right how the hell am i going to spend ten thousand dollars to build this thing that's mm-hmm. stupid and that's 
that didn't even include having to buy a press for a couple of grand to be able to reload the shit. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. you ain't doing it off a rock chucker. No, no. So, you know, like to, to kind of bring this whole ship back to what we started talking about, that's what these solids, these smaller caliber solids allow people to do. You want to dip your toes in or you yeah, want to get you in that space. In yeah. Ankle. Right. It gives you the capability to run a 308 to a mile and not just be winging bullets downrange for the sake of the Magpul camera like Todd Hodnett was doing. Right. Yeah, great. You know, it's flipping and flopping them all the way to the target. I mean, it, you know, if it's subsonic for a thousand yards on the way to the target, great. I mean, that's a very good shooter. He managed to basically, uh, w- the equivalent of what he did is to start at zero and shoot subsonic blackout to a thousand yards. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, right? But that's, there is a lot more variability involved in that shot. And oh, yeah. if you have a bullet that can get there instead of five seconds of flight time, it can get there in two and a half. That's phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Right. My it it just puts you in a whole new space as far as that cartridge it, in, in any cartridge you put it in. It puts you in a whole new space. Yep. Whole new space, whole new level of effectiveness and capability without having to go out and buy. Like, it's not just, oh, well, I'm, you know, I got to build a new gun, right? Like, yeah, the bullets are expensive. Uh, take the 198s, right? If you bought a 500 pack on our 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 special that we ran for the last two weeks, I think the bullets, like you could buy 500 198s for something like a dollar four a piece, which is an unheard of number for the solids. For 200 grain solid, that's one and three quarters of an mm-hmm. inch. There's a lot of copper in there for a dollar oh, and four cents. Oh yeah, that projectile is expensive, but in a 308 at sea level out of a 24 inch long action 308 i'm mag feed and i'm supersonic to 1800 yards it outshoots yeah. 300 norma mag i was in wyoming in 2018 17 18 19 i shot the night force max and i shot it in 17 and 18 with a 308 and i shot it in 19 with 300 wisdom all shot with the 198s and in, I think, 2018, my buddy Aaron, who I think you're going to have on at some point, Aaron Hip, he's got that new, sweet new tuner that's out oh, there. And it works. I used it today for the first time. Yep, it works. Yep. So in, in I think it was 18, but I might get the year screwed up. But we're out there, and on the zero day, he's shooting at this 12-inch plate at a mile. Scott Satterley's on the glass, and it's like, Left side, right side, just over the top, just under the bottom, left side, left side over the top, you know, oh, hit, right? It's like seven shots to a hit. We're at about 18 miles an hour, gusting to 20, 22. Well, and that's not a knock on Aaron at all. That's a knock on no. the, the choice of, of what he was working with, you know? It's a, it's a 300 Norma mag. He's shooting 215 burgers at, you know, 30... 50 or something like that it's a big caliber it is what people would term appropriate for that match the right. conditions were hard and it was a long shot it was a mile shot and a little target it was a 12 inch target at a mile is about 0.6 moa and he did a good job he was right around it if that target was 18 inches instead of 12 inches he'd have drilled the shit out of it oh yeah but he goes oh yeah i'm holding like four mils of wind so he and I rode up together and he's known about these bullets for 
a decade, right? I was telling Aaron about these things years before as I was doing computer modeling with them, not even shooting them, just, you know, like playing around the results, right? Yeah. So we get up there and he is uh, a 215 going 200 feet per second faster than my 198, shooting literally double the amount of gunpowder, double mm-hmm. the recoil. Uh, almost double the recoil and i was holding i had one mil more elevation dialed and 1.5 mils less wind wind and it was and i was consistently holding if my misses were off the edge they were tighter than his and i was hitting more and that's the consistency of the projectile itself because his es and his sd was very very good but the bullet to bullet consistency that comes from a machined projectile versus something that's flipped off. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, it's totally different leak. You know, the BC from bullet to bullet changes and it does on the solids too, but but, uh, a, a gigantic difference in margin. Right. In Doppler data, we took the Doppler data. So we sent some bullets to Hornady. They tested them. And we got back very good results and some interesting, you know, how to do this kind of things from uh, folks that worked at Hornady. And and we took them again to uh, New Mexico Institute of Mines and Technology. They have a Doppler radar artillery range, tested them again. And the acoustic data that I got, the Hornady data that we got back and the New Mexico data that we got back, showed the variability from shot to shot when you corrected the velocity out of it so that it was just the bullet to bullet. Just BC difference. Was variability in the fourth decimal place. So like if the BC was 0.839. Unaccountable. 10 would be 0.839. And then they would range between 0.8390 and 0.840. Yeah, and, and ballistic calculators today, I mean, most any ballistic calculator anybody's using is not going to be able to show you a difference in that. No, they don't. They're less it's, than an inch of difference. If you look at, like, say, 839 and 2,800 feet per second, 839 to 840 at 1,000 yards is like an inch of difference. It's an inch waterline, and that's more variability than what these bullets have in them. Right, exactly. So... It basically, all intents and purpose, all intents and purposes, doesn't have a BC difference because right. that's a, that's a number that's that's like a, it's unaccounted, unaccountable is the right word unaccountable. Yeah, I get, uh, you, you can't. We describe it as in the noise, right? Right, like, exactly, yeah. And unless and then unless you have a a zero extreme spread of your velocity, you're not going. It's negligible. It's it's you cannot account for it. So mm-hmm. that's how tight these BCs are. Yep. So it's and and you can't ask for anything else out of a bullet. It's then at that point it's going to be on your loading and on your shooting. Yep. So it's uh we get but really really tight SDs out of these too. Like oh Jeff got like an SD of fucking three over like fifteen rounds. I mean, oh, with yeah. a 95, you know, with an old 95 yep. grain, six mil. So, you know, I know what a couple of years ago I did some podcasts with uh, somebody else, and, and we were talking about the repeatability that Warners are holding on the bullets back then. And I can tell you, you know, I've made 
Kurt. Yep, it was Kurt. Um, we've made about 75,000 bullets in the last couple of months. And, you know, they're starting to pick up some more. But I'm still, like, I just, like, I'll be working in the shop. The Swiss is running. And I got to go to the bathroom. Or I'll be working on something. I'll do somebody's barrel. And I walk from one side of the shop to the other to put a finished barrel on a shelf. And it's like, I know, like, before I bought the Swiss, I sat down and they did a turnkey on it. And we made 1,200 bullets. I measured the overall length and the diameter to five decimal places on 1,200 freaking bullets in a row. And, I mean, it was, you know, it's well into six figures on this investment. I wanted to make sure it was going to make good bullets. Right, do what you wanted to do. Yep. Did an Excel spreadsheet, did a Weibull analysis on it, and I looked at it, and I was like, all right, we're there, right? Well, we were holding, I think, um, like, we threw the first bullet in the morning after warm-up because we comped it out, and, you know, like, that one was measured. You do that as you turn the machine on. And um, we threw out uh, one bullet that came out of a bar that was a different alloy out of lot, and it was at the end of the thing. We're like, oh, well, you know. Like, we knew this was a change where you would be controlling the process and watching this anyway. So we had to comp that one as well. Right. But out of 1,200 bullets, we had a total span of a tenth. And we had, and if you took the high and low out, we were like 70 millions. And it held an SD. We held an SD of 19 millions on the diameter of the bullet. So... These are kind of like, there's more of ethereal numbers, theoretical numbers, than functional numbers. Yeah. 19 millionths is 0. 0.019 thousandths of an inch. Yeah. But um, your ca- your calipers aren't going to really show you that. <laughs> your standard no, they, reloader they calipers aren't going to show you that. No. But what? But where that does matter, right? Like, that. That's that's even a number where... The, the temperature of the material, the oil, the machine, all of that factors, right? right? So we look at kind of a thermal stability, uh, you know, a, a long running, like I made six and a half this weekend. I started Saturday morning. I warmed the machine up for an hour where we didn't run bullets. I just ran a warm up and we ran the fluid in the machine and just got the shear into it until it came up to temperature. And then I started running bullets. And I comped the machine around for about a half a bar's worth until I was hitting, um, you know, within 50 millionths, bullet after bullet after bullet, and then I let it run. And then I checked it every bar while I was working Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, but that machine ran. I didn't shut it down. I just made sure I went back to the shop to load bars um, every 21 hours all weekend long. And it ran from Saturday at 10 a.m. until... 11:30 this morning and it didn't stop that's a good investment brother i mean that's just making shit when you're not even there i mean that's what, is, do you, what are you gonna ask for in a machine to do cook your breakfast oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right right rub yeah. one out for you i mean what else can you <laughs> you ask of a fucking machine to do yeah goddamn robots but, and shit <laughs> but for the guys for the guys buying those things you know that's why i ran all of those six fives. I spent about twelve thousand um, dollars between the fire system and a few other traceability things on the machine to make sure that we could run lights out unattended um, 
so that the consistency, like you buy six and a half from me and I made, let's say I made, uh, I made like, you know, 5,500 bullets in that time. All 5,500 of those bullets from the first one that went into the good bucket to the last one that went into the good bucket and every single one in between, there's only 80 millions between them. That's .08 thousandths of an inch. That means that when you load them, just like Jeff got, he threw a load together and he got an SD of three. And we've had a number of people, Shaytac guys, who are used to really having to tweak loads to get jacketed bullets where SDs stay below 10. Like right out of the gate, SDs of 1.5 to 4. And they're blown away by us because every well, bullet. Yeah. Is. And another thing is the space that we're talking about these things, maybe not the six fives, but the same thing goes for the other ones as well. The bigger cal- your, your 30 calibers, the space that you're in is uh, the sport of which you'll be using these in for the most part. Those that your SD really fucking matters. So like there's a whole lot going around on the internet now about like the game that we play with the, uh, the you know, um, just, tactical practical shooting prs nrl right. stuff you know people think they got to chase that that you know one or two foot per second sd to be competitive no you don't you i mean it, it's it's not the size the distance to what you're sh- we're shooting and the size targets in which we're shooting do not not to mention all the other factors thrown in as far as being off your belly positional all that stuff you're more you're probably going to miss due to a busted wind call or a shit position than you are your load. Well, this game that these things fit in 100% that is a giant factor because when you're talking about it, you know, 3200 yards, uh 3400 yards, yeah, that 10 foot per second SD uh, uh, or uh that you know 18 foot per second extreme spread that's just going to matter when you've got something working for you to help you just just by loading them into the brass, drop those numbers down. You're already you know, only helping yourself because, you know, th- these are extreme distances of which these things thrive in. And and so that's that's why it is so important. It's so like pivotal that you're, uh, you know, able to to crunch these or, or crunch these uh errors down so little so tiny in your variance because the further out you go is compounding error and factor in there and that's where you know you may burn one off an edge instead of actually hit the target or or right yep. at six o'clock you know so it's pivotal and so this you know you're this is the way to go this is 100 percent the way to go if you are a, if you're either starting in this shit or you're already involved in it and you're like, shit, I'd love to shoot a, you know, 30 or, or a, a 30 caliber, a 300 rum or uh, whatever and get that same BC with less recoil and less money. I would love to do that. I yep. mean, there's a lot of people who would, you know, so that's that's yeah. where it's everything is so important and pivotal. Uh, of the the error or the um, the variances in these bullets, you know, them being so minuscule is huge. Yep, and it, you know, like the bullets themselves are expensive, right? And we've we've gotten accustomed to like say forty dollar a box six millimeter bullets, and 
match shooters. I'm a match shooter. You're a match shooter. Match shooters are cheap, dude. We're looking for who's got what on sale. You know, we're going to buy 10,000 of something this year. So, yeah, when it's four cents a bullet cheaper and you're going to buy 10,000 of them, fuck yeah, man, that's 400 bucks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, but, you know, we're selling match bullets on these things. They're they're less expensive than the A-tips when you buy them in, in some quantity. You know, like you oh, yeah. for a box of 50, it's a little bit different. It's a little more right. expensive. But, but, you know, where like the A-tips, um, they're, they're coming off sequentially. They're hand sorted. You're getting the same thing from the solids for less money with more BC and less weight. Um, yeah, at the end know, of the so day, they're not, they're not solids. Right, the no, A-tips are solid. fine. They're not solids, though. And they're, they're great a, bullets. Yeah, they're they're that middle ground between your normal jacketed bullet to the solid. But I mean, so, yeah, I don't know. What, I don't know if you like, want to name drop. I don't know. Right. If, I, I don't. I'm not going to say his name or anything. I don't know if you want to or not. But you have in. Uh, I remember when I was up there um, staying with you for a weekend. Um, you had. We were talking how you had just spoke to a very predominant name in the PRS and a guy that everyone who's listening to this probably knows and you know you you asked him you know how how important would something like seven shots a match be to you like you just do a number something like as little as that sounds something very little i won't tell you who it was because i Mm -hmm. you know like it's not our business but yeah yeah but we he and i talked about it we ran the math and i said well this is um these work out to depending on caliber uh i believe there's between a six and an eight percent directly correlatable six and eight percent increase in hit ratio now if you look at a two-day match that's got 200 rounds fired right that is 12 to 16 percent increased hits over the course of a two-day match so even if you took half of that, let's say you took eight shots, you made eight more first round hits over the course of a two day match. What would that do for you? Yeah. How and big goes, would that be for you? Yep. He said, well, in 2018, the difference between me coming in and the place he finished and coming in first for the PRS for the entire season, he could attribute to five shots over the course of the entire season yeah not one match but five shots in the entire season Mm -hmm. so i said okay so if you had uh, not guaranteed but let's say you averaged eight more first round hits per match he's like i'd have won everything yeah everything and for the people who are listening not knowing who this person is if you if you knew who we're talking about, you'd be like, yep, that makes sense because <laughs> this guy is that good. Yeah. So so the numbers are there. Right. And the cost is as good as we can do it. And that's, you know, I mean, like we're I spent fifty thousand dollars buying copper in bulk as, you know, dribbling instead of dribbling it in, because I know sure. these things will work. Right. Yeah. But let's you know, like. Match bullets are one thing. Let's look at the hunting bullets, right? Like we know where the match bullets are. They're either for you or they're not. That's fine. Jeff clearly, you know, he sold, right? He shot those yep. groups at 100, 600, and 1,000 or 980. And he's 980, like, yep. I'm fucking done. You know, like 
I got pictures, and then the last text I got from them was, I need 3,000. Yep. They're, so, they're that accurate. Um, so, you know, so, like, you're either you're in or you're out on those. But for hunting guys, I really don't see a reason not to shoot these things. The BCs are higher than match bullets. They're controlled expansion. They're better penetration. They're lead-free. They are certified now for lead-free. Um, and... You know, a lightly loaded six and a half Creedmoor is not considered to be an elk cartridge by basically anybody. You know, there, there's always somebody on the Internet who go, oh, yeah, well, my, you know, I know somebody who shot six elk with a two, two, three. Or yeah. ask the Swedes okay. with the with yeah, the uh, six, right. five, fifty-five. Fine. You know, that's fine. I am. If I pulled an elk tag in Pennsylvania right now out of the hundred and three tags are going to issue this year, I am legally barred from shooting them with a six and a half creedmoor i can shoot it with a six eight spc because it's a 27 caliber bullet of all that bullshit but yeah. i can't shoot them with six and a half creedmoor meanwhile jeff wood hikes this thing up in the mountains and he smokes three of them past 500 yards yeah and they at, die one was one was over one was close was tapping on 800 wasn't it it was like seven and some know. change no that was uh he smoked a mule deer with um that's what a mule. 25 yeah. caliber bullet, like 1100 this year. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, but no, with the, with the Creedmoor, it was like late season. It was like 475 and then 510, 515, or 515, 520. They were all three of them were like right on 500 yards. Right. Um, and all three of them were through and through. Would have been double blood trails if they had even taken a step, but all yeah, three said it was died. a pool, a pool of blood. <laughs> yeah, yep, just nothing left. He wrote a great article on it. Took a bunch of post mortem photos and stuff like that. Yeah, if anybody don't know who we're talking about, we're talking about Coldbore Miracle. If you, uh, if if you you may know by that name, Coldbore Miracle. Yeah, you, you just go to Google and hit Coldbore Miracle PVA Cayuga. And it'll take you right to the article of all the animals that they killed with them this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's a bunch of them. Big ones, too. Yep. And so, you know, like, they take a little bit of work sometimes. Some barrels love them. Some barrels take a little bit of work. I got some text messages tonight um, from a gentleman who got some 210-grain Cayugas for his 30 Sherman. And I'll post the details on Instagram and Facebook. But he was running Rotumbo. He's running a 210 at mag length. They're jumping something like 60,000s. And he shot a 10-round ladder test, uh, the Satterley-Audette method. Uh 10-round ladder test at 100 yards. The entire group, all 10 shots on three grains of powder variation is under one and a half inches. And mm-hmm. when you look at the core of where the where the node probably is, sure, he's got four shots in there that are literally one hole. He goes, yeah, I don't think it's going to be very hard to find a load with these. No, I, I, yeah, so, yeah, I believe Stevie Wonder could find that node. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, his node's only like one point two grains wide at that point. Right. Um, and and he's like, yeah, they're going. He's like, they started at like thirty one. 10 and i got him to like 3193 you know he's thrilled and that beast that bullet's got more bc than anything short of a um you know like a 198 or an a you know 258 tip or something like that it's 
And, you know, we're advertising it to be 0.750. That's based on some estimates and shooting it at 700 yards before this fucking Corona bullshit happened and closed my local range down. Um, Based on what a couple other people have told us, we think the BC is actually higher than that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I try real hard to either give you good data or conservative data. I don't want to be under under promise over deliver. Right. Yeah. You know, the bullet industry for a hundred years has told people, you know, that they've got the greatest thing since sliced bread and uniform, unicorn farts come out of the back of these bullets. And, mm-hmm. you know, you get them and, and like somebody was uh, was throwing rocks at me, proverbially throwing rocks at me on um, uh, the Sherman Wildcats page because I was promoting these. And, and he's like, yeah, well this company's name has been awesome and I've killed over a hundred bullets with them. What's the very first thing that comes back? Somebody goes, yeah, they advertised that the BC was 0.62 and it turned out to be 0.49. I'm never buying them again. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, I, I, I don't even know about this conversation, but I can guarantee you, I know the bullet manufacturer that did it, but, um, you know, <laughs> solid bullets for hunting is not a new thing. I mean, look at the, the Hornady GMX, okay? Look at the, the Nosler Acubons, okay? They got I, the same... I thought Acubons were bonded core. Oh, yeah, they are bonded core, yeah. The GMX yep. is a solid. Yeah, the GMX but is the a solid. Barnes, Barnes has been selling solid copper bullets for, you know, at least 20 years, probably more yeah, like yeah, 50. Yeah, Barnes, yeah, Barnes is what I was thinking, not Acubon. That's a, that's a bonded bullet, Acubond, obviously. Um, No, yeah, I meant the Barnes, but... uh. They also got the BC of a roll of fucking toilet paper. So that's, that's, but that's the difference of what you're talking about here. You're talking about something if, if now I, I personally, and a lot of it is because of you, um, of, you know, years ago, you know, I hunt with match bullets, you know, which I'm also shooting whitetail at anywhere from 80 yards to maybe 500 yards. I mean, these are hundred yep. and you know, 180 pounds on the big side. Major maybe weighs two. more than the does that live in North Carolina, dude. They, he's talk. not. He's not lying. The does here are. I mean, I have literally shot does smaller than my dog. I knew it before I pulled the trigger. So yeah, that's smaller than my dog. But yeah, they, they taste, taste good. good. But they taste delicious. <laughs> but they. But the thing is, is that you know, for a lot of you out west hunters, you would love to be able to take your, you know, enter your favorite match bullet. And then feel 100% confident that if you put a decent shot, like when I say just decent shot on an animal, that it's going to bust and fold them like a chair. But now you have the ability to have a bullet that definitely supersedes the BC of your favorite match bullet, but is also going to do exactly what you want it to do, which is kill the shit out of whatever it is you're aiming at. So, and yeah, I mean, to some like, distance, you take wind out of the equation at certain distances, you don't have to worry about fucking wind. You know, I've, I've killed a ton of deer with the 140 grain, six and a half millimeter Amex. Mm-hmm. That's a match bullet. That is a deer killing son of a bitch though. I mean, yeah. everything that's what got that me I turned on for me shooting uh fucking, uh, uh, Regular ELDMs was because you talking yeah. about how many told, telling me how many critters you've killed with an Amax. I was like, well, shit, the ELDMs can't be that much different from the Amaxes. I went to Kentucky on a fucking trophy hunt with uh, 140 uh, ELDMs loaded up in my gun. Yep. 
Yeah. So I mean, you can kill stuff with hate, with uh, with match bullets and uh, Cold War Miracle. Jeff Wood and I. I mean, we've been probably talking for twelve years at this point. Uh, I've known Jeff a long time, and you know, we've been killing shit. He's been for longer than I have, but we've been killing shit with match bullets for a, a decade, right? And in fact, he even posted a thread on Sniper's Hide. It was like, post your match bullet. It's my favorite thread on Sniper's Hide, bro. And it's basically just a troll job on all the people who say it's unethical to kill stuff with match bullets. And it's awesome, right? So that's what the Cayugas bring. They give you match bullet BCs, and they give you the capability where, like we were just talking about, the 198 and the 210. They're sisters. You... You have the same bearing surface, the same pilot band, the same tail, very similar weight. They're very easy to tune. If you have A, then you have B, right? Yep. B, C is high. But the 198 in Pennsylvania, a game officer is going to look at that and go, that's not an expanding ammunition. And he's going to pop me for a $1,000 poaching fine because of the freaking bullet. But if it's got a hole drilled in the end of it, they don't care. Now, California, on the other hand, if I had a lead bullet out there, if I shot a deer on public land with an AccuBond out there, yeah, all the fucking liberals would be out there, you know, probably, trying to sacrifice your kids. Up, you know, like they'd pull the electric chair out, dust it off, and you know, you can't, you can't kill a pedophile out there. Otherwise, half of Hollywood would be on the electric chair right now. But you know, you shoot an animal with a lead jacket, a lead cord bullet, and I'm sure you're going to be in in really hot water. Yeah, they're going to start throwing paper straws and freaking surgical masks at you right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. It hit you with their free needles on the street dispensing bin. Yeah, shit. But, but you know, like, like so this gives you that. This gives you everything you need. This gives you that expansion. This gives you the lead free. This gives you the stupid BC. Uh, and, and speed. I mean, it's and it gives you the tough bullet. Like I shot a doe, uh, three years ago now. I, I, you know, I was at one of the clubs I belong to, and this spike chased a nice doe out, 24 yards. Like she literally ran out in front of the 25 yard, um, backer and stopped and looked behind her, and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Just throw your rifle at her. Yeah. In, in the middle of doe season, or you know, like a hundred percent legal shoot, I smoked her, and there was blood spatter on the backer. Mm-hmm. And but there's not a lot of it. There, the only thing that hit it was two little pieces of jacket. I found a 105 hybrid with 93 grains of retained weight when we picked all the pieces out of it, and it was lodged in the offside shoulder. Mm-hmm. never exited <clears throat> that's you know that's good that deer was shot with a 6br at like 25 yards yeah. however i've also shot deer with that bullet at 550 yards and it didn't expand and it plowed right through and we tracked it for 800 yards before we found the thing down in a creek by two days that's late. not fun for anybody if you haven't done that before it is not fun especially at night <clears throat> yeah and you're cold so and you know, like, there, I don't think there's any magic bullet. And these solids, you know, like, you take an 1,100-yard shot and you poke through both lungs, you don't hit a rib going in or a shoulder blade going in. Yeah, the animal's going to die. But, you know, they tumble. 
Um, I've had people ask me, they're like, hey, are these designed to tumble or designed to expand? They're designed to expand, but every bullet tumbles. It is a mathematical certainty that if you have enough animal there, when it goes from air to something denser than air, like, you know, flesh, which is essentially water for the sake of argument, uh, water is something like 400 times more dense than air. When you go from air to water, bullets tumble. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, and, and solids, a lot of folks talk about, well, solids tumbling or bonded bullets tumbling, you know, not really expanding that much. Because compared to a thin-skinned match bullet, they actually hold together long enough to make it into a tumble instead of just disintegrating into a fragment of dust. Yeah, grenade. Now, I've, yep, I've... I've shot deer and grenaded them through the lungs. I shot uh, a doe a couple of years ago as well with a 95 grain Sierra tipped match kick and nothing left. Uh, that was a 30, I think that load was going 3093 in warm weather. So it was well over 3000 when I shot her in December. Still, I don't know what it was, but I shot her at um, uh, 49 yards. And nothing left. That bullet exploded inside of her. She still ran 150 yards. Yeah, it's like she swallowed a grenade and and kept it moving. Right. So you know, there's no there's no perfect bullet. Contrary to what the gun rags will tell you, there's no perfect bullet where you can take a shitty shot and hit nothing, and it's just going to magically kill the animal right there. You know, even a 50 caliber is not going to do the same thing. There's videos on YouTube. There's laws in Idaho and Wyoming now because of jackasses going out shooting deer with 50s, you know, being irresponsible about stuff. You know, it, it's just. But well, one of the things I favorite things that I've tried, heard. Oh, go ahead. I, I really try to impress some people. I've seen guys and I've read guys where they take they're like, oh, well, I had X bullet. and It's a piece of shit. I didn't do blah, 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 blah. And when you really get them to give you enough details, it's like, well, you shot a trophy bull almost head on. You skipped it and it slid down the side of his shoulder blade and it slid off and it never penetrated any bone. That's not the bullet's problem. Mm-hmm. You shot him with a seven rum at 75 yards and made a bad shot. No bullet is going to fix a bad shot. However, if you have the opportunity for that trophy bull and it's 900 yards away and that's all you're going to get, well, you have a much better chance of saying, okay, well, I can hit him and I can put it through both shoulder blades and I can anchor him right there with these bullets than going, if I hit him in the shoulder blades, it's probably not going to penetrate at this distance. It's not going to expand. If I hit him in the lungs, I've got to have a heart shot. Hitting a heart shot for a dude that's jazzed up on the last day. Oh, of- yeah. Maybe sure. there's some of y'all that can do it out there. I cannot. Yeah, that's, that's called being shook. Bill on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the the one of the things that I've heard, and I'm I'm going to kind of butcher it, but one of the one of my favorite things as far as this subject goes that I really like is that something to the effect of that the only thing that is certain when it comes to terminal ballistics is that it is 100% uncertain. So <laughs> it it shit never does the same thing twice typically like with any with any bullet. So I mean you got people that. You know, for every five people who say that 
as far as jacketed bullets go, that the you, you pick your favorite one. Uh, that that the ELDX is the end all be all hunting bullet for whatever caliber. There's the same equal amount of people say that they use that bullet in that same caliber and they'll never use it again. You know what I'm saying? Where it whether it be Acubons, whether it be ELDXs, whether it be you know, Game Kings or or whatever and yet they're the same people sitting there pointing fingers and holding their nose you know at a uh, um people who shoot match bullets um uh, yeah i've killed a whole bunch of critters with 168 sierra match king yep it well just nothing past 800 because they fall out of the sky at 800 it hit, no they don't they they hit a wall, hit a wall. That no one sees and they drop straight to the ground so if you just shoot at 800 you can go collect all your bullets again and go shoot reload them and shoot them because it's, it's they're all right you don't there. Line the rifle up. So. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, but you know this. You know your the Cayuga is it it is the answer to both camps. I want the most accurate bullet out of my gun, which is really the camp that I'm in. I want the bullet that I know the best and the one that my rifle shoots the best and the one I've got the best load for. That is the bullet that I want to I want to shoot at an animal, but then you've got the other people. Well, I want the bullet that's designed to do this, that, and the other. I don't care about you know. I I want it to to kill shit. Well, this is this is the have your cake and eat it too type situation. You've got these both are, of those things in one bullet. Yep. The process for these for making these and making ELR match solids it's identical. If you took the drill operation out of the two of these, the machine run times would be almost identical too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, like to further that point, um, somebody that you and I both know, uh, and I don't want to uh, embarrass him on a podcast, but he got invited by a friend of his, a client of his, to go elk hunting, private land, Idaho. I mean, like you know, once in a lifetime kind of opportunity. Mm-hmm. They shot some, he took a six dasher that I built for him and uh, made the barrel for him as pre-fit. And we took it to the range and uh, he and I drilled a bunch of steel plates with the thing out to 700 yards. His dad at the time was like 83 or 85 years old, never shot a rifle in his life. We had his dad on us at 400 to 700 yards, pounding the crap out of him. The gun shot like two inches at 600, super accurate. So he takes the thing out on an antelope hunt and an elk hunt and he shoots a couple of antelope past 600 yards. And then the guy that invited him on this hunt convinced him to take a 338 win mag and borrowed, you know, like loaned him a rifle rather than take the dasher. And he starts telling me this. And I was like, oh, no, he you already know what? the score. I, you know, you already know where the story is going to go. I was like, I know what's going to happen. If you're telling me that you borrowed a rifle after smoking a couple of antelope at previously unseen distances for both of you, and then you find it fit to tell me not, oh, I killed this awesome 7x7, 380 class bull, but I borrowed a rifle. I know exactly where this is going. He missed at 300 yards. The rifle wasn't up to it, and he wasn't up to the recoil. He wasn't expecting it, you know. Just like yeah, moving from a dasher to a three thirty eight Win Mag is that's a that's a flinch factory of a of a caliber. Yep, 
and I, and I said to him, I was, he's like, well, we didn't think the Dasher was going to be up for killing the elk. And I'm like, in certain situations, it probably wasn't. However, from what you just told me, a 330-yard shot, you could have picked, do I want to hit it in the eyeball? Or do I want to put it down the ear hole? Or do I want to shoot it in C2? Not yeah. C1, but C2. You could have done that. And he's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know? Like, that. that's the thing. Like, that's what... That's the one thing that I keep telling folks about match bullets is I shoot all year long, right? I get 10,000 rounds downrange of whatever match bullet. Pick your favorite match bullet and you shoot a lot. Congratulations. You know, Dave Preston probably shoots 15,000, you know, of whatever he's shooting this year. Good. Dave, I need you to smoke a deer at 750 yards. You think he's going to take a match rifle out or he's going to take something out that like, or, oh yeah, I shot, like, one that he's never shot before. Exactly. Ever. It's not his, not set up for him. Doesn't know what it's going to do. No confidence in it. Or does he take his fucking scalpel out there and surgically cut this fucker in half? You know what I'm saying? It's exactly. right. And, and, right. And that's why the I'm always in the camp of shoot the most accurate cartridge or <laughs> most accurate rifle and the most accurate bullet in that rifle, and and the bullet will kill. Get, get someone to go stand 500 yards down from me, and I'm, we're going to find out if a, if a uh, match bullet will kill something. Nope. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's yeah. fucking, I mean, yeah. that, that's, what we, yeah. that's what we send our boys down range with, is fucking match right. kings, Sierra match kings. There is a very impressive body count from people like Jim Gilliland and... Um, several other folks who have extremely long kills with 308s and 300 wind mags with match bullets in them. Yeah. I'm sure and, Jim didn't say uh, at, at 1200 yards, man, I wish I had a controlled expansion bullet here <laughs> with his 308. Right. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of guys who have made a lot of kills on, you know, what would be large game, 175 pound plus large two legged predators. With Sierra Match Kings, they kill shit. Yep. You know? And that's and, what Jacob Bynum but, says: is that velocity kills. Like you see in movies where you know, uh, freaking uh, Bruce Willis gets winged in the shoulder by an AK-47. I'm sorry, Bruce Willis is out for the count. I mean, <laughs> Bruce Willis is done. Right. Like, yeah. I don't give a fuck what he's doing. Yep. He's out. The, the dog is out for the fight. Well, and then, probably going to die. Know, with the propensity for security footage these days, there's a lot more security footage on the internet of people getting hit by small caliber pistol rounds. And, you know, and then somebody gets, you know, they get hit by any center fire rifle round dudes on the ground. Like, you know, he's done. Um, And, you know, like, uh, I, I've been told, I forget who said it to me. He says, pistol bullets, poke holes, rifle bullets, fuck shit up. Yes, that is 100% accurate. It is true. So you know, like take, take, said, take that and take kills. what you want. Velocity kills. Yeah. So if we can, if we can provide a hunting bullet that's got match bullet accuracy, it expands, it meets the legal requirements. It expands well, you know, it retains good weight. Uh, we did some gel testing on them. We've got the proof on those elk. They're, they're just freaking poleaxed them. All of the things that people need, right? 
and the velocity, they start out faster, right? They're lighter. They've got an extremely good BC. So, you know, like six and a half Creedmoor shooting a 122 at 3,100 feet per second. Yeah, that shows up really fast. I mean, like you, you look at um, comparative bullets. I did a comparison for uh, Jim O'Shaughnessy at Prime Ammo. Showed him what the 122, my 122 did compared to a Barnes 120 TTSX. And the Barnes 120 TTSX, um, the BC and the speed expected, had about a 500-yard range on elk when you look at 1,000 foot-pounds minimum energy uh, being like sort of the, that's kind of like the jack number. number, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's the number, right? Not like elk's not going to kill if you hit it at, you know, 785 foot-pounds. It's going to be where you hit it. But as far as being able to put a plot together and say, here's the number, this is what we're going to work to, here's our comparative value, 1,000 foot-pounds. Okay. And the, the 120 TTSX is like a 485 yards or something like that, depending on altitude. And that, that bullet kills the shit out of animals all the time. But the BC sucks. Yep. Right? Two grains more. We got 30% more BC. And if we're going the same speed because it's the same weight bullet, um, this thing, the 122, was something like 790 yards almost double the range it's like a, a you know a 75 percent increase in effective mm-hmm. range on the same animal and uh and, and he's like well that kind of it doesn't really leave anything to argue over does yeah it is yeah there's no there's no debate there but people don't people also don't realize that the higher bc it isn't just wind drift it isn't just wind deflection that bc that much in bc you're going to carry velocity a lot yep. further Thus, well, same weight plus more velocity equals more energy on target. So right. it's not just it, the bullet. Even if they both kill him dead, uh, the bullet is not doing the same thing once that bullet just before it gets there mm-hmm. as the other one. Uh, it's not just, oh, well, I held half a mil win less. No, it's this bullet is going 400 feet per second, 300 feet per second faster or, or yep. more. I don't even know. I'm just throwing that weird yeah. number out. But some stupid number higher, you know, velocity at at the target. Thus, yep. more energy, hoping to get hydrostatic shock, blow the damn vessels out of a deer's brain, and and he's not moving. He's gone. He's 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 done. Yeah, I mean, a really good example of that was even on the match bullets. Like these bullets, um, I mailed bullets to scott satterley before he allowed solids at the night force match in 2017 he tested them um to make sure they weren't going to smoke his steel and uh that you know they didn't have any problems that you know i've had people tell me oh they're hard on steel da, 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 da. the only time there's two times that we've had it punch through somebody's steel the first was aaron was testing some seven millimeters and um he shot a piece of steel that wasn't on a hanger it was backed up hard against a board at 100 yards yeah that's no give winchester yeah there's no give and it was point blank right that bullet started at 3180 and it hit probably going like 3100 at 100 yards it smoked that piece of steel and And then um and then another gentleman who shot a lot of flat lines a lot of my bullets he had um I think it was a 300 Norma Ackley improved. 
Mm. The big bitch. Yes, 180 sir. grain flat line. And he goes, yeah, I smoked the steel with it. And I was like, oh, crap. He goes, yeah, it was a 700-yard plate. And, and I'm thinking, well, that's that's really odd. Are you sure it was AR-500? Like, we've tested it before. That's not the problem. He goes, oh, it's not your fault. He goes, the problem's entirely mine because I'm shooting them at like 3,900 feet per second. And at 700 yards, they're still doing 3,250. So I basically shot these things. 180 greens into a steel plate at point blank at 300 wind max speeds. It's no wonder Jesus. they went through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No he goes, so, you know, I just didn't realize it. And that's, that's the effect of having the high BC. That's a 180 green match bullet with a BC that's higher. It, it's almost a 230 burger, but he's got at 700 yards, he's still got more velocity than any 230 burger. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's going to be hell on anything, but think right. of what's going to do to a critter. Hit him in the shoulder, and his lights out. It's done. Yeah. So, so. It, it does, it changes some things in terms of, you know, like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you to go out to go to your local club and start shooting smiley faces at 100-yard uh, targets because yeah. you're probably going to leave pockmarks in them. Um, but at the same time, like, I shoot steel at New Holland at, at you know, three, four, five, six, seven hundred yards, they don't leave any kind of pock marks on them. But, you know, we're going out there and like when I, I was doing some 22 Creed more testing with 22 caliber bullet, 22 Creed, 22 Dasher. Um, we shot paper until 500 yards just to make sure that we didn't do any damage to the steel because when I'm doing testing, I don't want to damage the club's shit. Oh, yeah, because they're going to just I, like I shut that shit off right there. Nah, you ain't doing this out here. Right. Yeah. And a few years ago, you know, like, it was probably eight years ago now, somebody came out with a 416 Barrett and a bunch of brass solids and proceeded to beat the snot out of the 700-yard target. And he's like, well, it didn't say I couldn't. So <laughs> now, you know, not only are we not allowed to shoot anything from a 50 cal we're not allowed to shoot anything based on a 50 yeah um, it's so some people's kids you know. man <laughs> right yeah it's Fuck. like just have a little bit of responsibility for it you know try not to get the solids banned from your range you know right. think a little ahead it's kind of you're gonna kinda, have a bad day yeah yep so well, what else is coming out of PVA? Uh, I know you are your lead times have uh, substantially dropped, uh, given you've got a really good core group of guys up there. Uh, Joe, in particular, Joe has been a big difference maker. Most, if you call PVA, there's a 99% chance that Joe is going to be the one to answer the phone. And you talk about somebody being Johnny on the spot. That is Joe. Joe's my buddy. I love him to death. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it, it always helps to have good help. Yeah. So um, we really cleaned up the operation. You know, we had a lot of growing pains. I thought I had the right people. And I was under the, the mistaken belief that more people meant more work. Um, and it really, what we've done is we have, uh, myself and Joe full time and, uh, two guys part time who are very talented machinists. Very. And we've raised the caliber of people 
um, and parsed down the number of people. And what that's done is um, it has allowed us to do things like our average lead time is reliably four to six weeks, um, if not faster, like, you know, some stuff is out in two. Um, you know, we've brought in, we vertically integrated other projects. We're doing contract work for a bunch of other people. You know, there's other Smiths out there that are starting to show pictures of work and, and, uh, you know, we're, we're doing contract work for guys for OEM work. Um, you know, like the, the bar is going up in the industry and, uh, I feel like we're leading, you know, pushing that bar in a lot of ways. And um, good people are the way to do that. It's not more people, it's the right people. Yeah, yeah. Um, more people Joe's doesn't mean more awesome. work. It's the right people means more work done. Yep. Yeah. Um, so Joe's been know, really uh, key in that with the communication side of the house. When Josh is on the phone or when Josh is answering emails, Josh is not cutting chips. Right. So, yep. And he's uh, really good at that. You know, like we've, We've had it in the past where, and this is a problem we had, uh, hey, I can't get a hold of you. I can't get an answer. It's been three weeks to get emails. And they were super, super far behind. Joe came on board, and um, within about two and a half to three weeks of him being here, our average email response time had gone from 10 days to 10 hours. Right. Yeah. And that's what that's what the, the consumer wants. <clears throat> um, and, and, and now no. we have been uh, I mean, so that was like early September. Um, by the time I came down, went fishing with you. He was 98 percent of emails were responded to within four hours. And now the only thing like when I say four hours, I mean, you know, business hours. Like if you email yeah. us at, at 1 a.m. on on Saturday night, you ain't getting get an answer until yeah. eight thirty in the morning on Monday. Right. And that, that just that's the way it goes. But if you email us at ten thirty in the morning on Monday morning, you know your chances are you're going to have an email back within three hours now. Um, yeah. And you know. And, and you and, know, there's and, there's there's something to be said with the quality of work coming out of PVA. The old saying goes, you you can have cheap, fast, and good. You can have two, but you can't have all three. Yeah, um, right. Was it that, right, fast, and cheap? Pick two. Yeah, pick two. You can have two, but you can't have three. But you're you're getting as close to being able to have all three as about anybody's gonna be getting it right now. So yeah, and and uh, Joe Joe's promptness with the communication only furthers helps achieve that. Absolutely, it does. Um, you know, and it, it's funny how the pendulum swings sometimes too, because we've had folks call us. They've placed an order on, um, you know, whatever day, and then 72 hours later, they called back and they wanted to make a change. And we're like, well, sorry, we, we can't make that change. You know, hey, I wanted to, I want to make the contour heavier. I want to make the barrel longer, right? Sorry, I can't do that. Well, why not? Well, the barrel's done. You know, like yeah. it's being lasered <laughs> right now and it's shipping yeah. today. <laughs> you know, um, we can't make an 18 inch barrel 22 inches long anymore because you can't glue it back on. Well, we can um, make another barrel and, for you, though. Right. And, and you know, like 
I can understand people like, oh, you know, I made the change. I want to do that. I'll give them a call tomorrow. I'm sure it'll be fine. Like, I can understand where they're coming from. But at the same time, I'm not taking a $275 blank that's finished and putting it on the shelf, hoping somebody else will buy it to accommodate a change like that. We just can't do it. I've done it a couple times for you. I've got two. Yeah, I've got have. two barrels where you had you were about to take a, a bath on them because of a impossible customer, and uh, I was like, "What's it for?" Fuck it, yeah. man. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take right. it. Or, or change this, and I'll take it, and I'll and then I'll I'll shoot it, and I'll buy yeah. it from. Um, but uh, well, the I'll tell you the machine work. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, you don't. You're not going to make it a, a big hassle if someone. But it, that's only like you said. If you're at a point of which you can make that change. So yep. I mean, you can't. You know, wave your bippity boppity boo. Wave a, a wand and like you said, turn an 18 inch barrel to a 22 incher. That's not happening. But you know, and and you got people. You get people who who do some real fuckboy shit and and you know not want to not make good on their end when they go and, and, you know, ask you to do something for them or cut and make them a product. And then they don't want to pay or they contest charges on a credit card. I mean, that, yeah. that just makes things more expensive for everybody else behind them. I mean, really it does. I mean, you know, when like, and it, and it delays stuff too. It may not make something immediately more expensive for people, but it does delay things. Like let's say that, you know, we end up with somebody who's, doing something fraudulent right they're they're going to try and get something over on us for 500 bucks well you know me supplying the documentation fighting a credit card charge back um for a you know for something that they claim we returned and they never did yeah which um, has happened yeah uh you know like the hours that are spent fighting over that are hours that could be spent doing other people's work so You know, but at the same time, we got we got other folks who are super, super understanding. And, I, you know, and it's I think it's like everything. It's a 10 percent rule. Right. There's 10 percent of people in any group of folks that give the entire group a bad name. And, uh, you know, a friend of mine, um, the, the, the same same guy that said in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh and everything else, South Alabama. He's also the one who reminds me, he goes, if you're in a room. And you're looking around, you're trying to figure out who the asshole is, and you can't do it. Probably, probably the asshole. Yep. You know, and I mean, just shopping carts. That's how you know where society is. Is go to a go to a parking lot and look for shopping carts sitting in the middle of a fucking parking space. If you see, because yep. if you see them all over in parking spaces, then we are not there. We are not there as society. The ten percent rule still stands. But if 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 people actually just go put their damn shopping carts up, just return them to the little little buggy thing, uh, then we're doing pretty good as a society. But um, yep. yeah, you're always gonna have people to do shit like that. And when you're when you're working with the public, that's just like you said, just no going into it that you're gonna be dealing with some shit like that. But yeah. you know, so, also I mean, another thing. Go ahead. I was gonna say that. You know, that's not to bag on our customers. Like we we have a really good customer base and sure. Um you know, like the bad apples, well, you know, they like their retention rate tends to be relatively low and 
you know, you kind of learn after a while. When somebody says, they call you up, they want to talk your ear off about a job, and then they tell you how this person screwed up, and that person screwed up, and that person screwed up, and then the guy after them screwed up. There's one thing in common. Seven or eight or nine really well-known guys who I know do nice work. It's like, you know, yeah, okay. I could see that guy made a mistake. But that guy and that guy and that guy and that guy and that guy, and you're like, maybe I should just long and high quote this one. You know, like I don't yeah. need to be the 11th guy in the 10, 10 planner. So. Yeah, exactly. There's one common denominator there, and and that's the guy on the on the other phone. Um, yep. But the the one of the biggest testaments to PVA is just looking at the. At the, mach- at the machine work. I mean, just you can look at a peep, you know, take a, a, a blank that you've cut and, and threaded and look at those threads and you can tell maybe compared to the next one here from somebody else. It's a step above and beyond. It's it's I mean, absolutely gorgeous machine work. And it I mean that all those things to all those all those things taken to or taken into account in accuracy too. You know, we all know yep. there's people out there that are notorious for shit headspace and and uh, you know chatter marks. Um, but uh, that's not PVA. I tell you what, of any of any complaints I've ever heard of PVA, it was basically when you were in those growing pain times and, and it's been a, a time thing. But almost I've never not heard any if they're an actual customer of you not just somebody who's parenting to some shit that they've heard they are actually a customer and dealt with you and maybe didn't have a a perfect communication experience because of past uh stuff but yet when they get their barrels like it's a goddamn thing's a fucking laser (laughs) right yeah you might have been a month late but damn that thing don't shoot one hole (laughs) yeah i mean we had some stuff where it was like you know, like we're, we're the guys in the middle holding the bag, right? Yeah. Barrel vendor has a problem. They have a bad batch of steel. I don't care. I ordered it from PVA. Fuck them. It's PVA's well, fault. Y- right? Yeah. Yeah. So but I gave them my money. Time, I didn't give my money to them. That's why they're going. Right. You know. Yep. So, you know, like, like we absorbed a number of things that weren't our fault because we were trying to accommodate making life easier for customers and we've also made a lot of mistakes ourselves, like growing with the wrong people, trying to grow too much at once, growing with the wrong vendors. You know, there, like, there's a whole lot of stuff. And I would like to think I'm a pretty good engineer. I had a, a you know, good education and a lot of experience doing engineering stuff at a pretty high level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I built a lot of race cars and a lot of race car parts and a lot of telescope parts before I started building people's rifles. And the, I think the reason that we are in business as long as we are is ex- and at a successful level is because the quality of work and the capability of the shop has been top tier. Absolutely. And thankfully, a lot of customers have understood and have been patient with me I don't have a business degree. I don't have a sales force. I don't have, you know, a lot of other things that bigger shops have, but we're putting 2000 barrels out a year. 
you know, we don't have sales reps that go out, travel on a, you know, on a stipend and get folks like, uh, you know, your online gun shop to buy a hundred blanks so that, you know, you can blow them out for, you know, two sixty nine ninety nine every right. black Friday. Like, you know, so there's a lot of business mistakes that I've made and that's me not knowing me reading a book, me trying what the book says, it kind of works. It kind of doesn't you know, taking advice from other people. Um, you know, it's like there's a lot of learning experience, but at least the one thing we can say is the vast majority, like everybody fucks up, right? Everybody gets bad barrel blanks and everybody fucks up from time to time. But, um, you know, when we screw up the work quality's poor, that's getting fixed. You know, you got a problem with the barrel that gets fixed. We get accused of having made a bad barrel about, um, twice a week. And last year we did just shy of 2,300 barrels. Um, 11 of them were actually bad. Now, Rock Creek and I have an awesome relationship. The dudes at Rock Creek make killer barrels. Yeah, they do. And um, you got what, like six or seven of them at this I mean, point? Fucking about all of them except all of them except for one. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, and we hey, I, I'm having a problem with the barrel. Okay. So we, we walk through some questions in an email, send us some pictures. Usually we can troubleshoot where the gun has issues. And that is just somebody who's, they're putting the gun together. They, they may know lots about putting a gun together. It may be their first one. We've put enough guns together and enough troubleshooting of other people's, you know, like guys trying to do stuff in their garage through email where I've gotten pretty good at troubleshooting what might be oh, wrong yeah. with the gun. And we've also gotten pretty good at, at cutting a barrel. So out of 2,300 barrels and about um, 100 of them were accused to be bad, 11 were bad. And every one of those is like, you know, hey, Russ, we, we got this problem. Here's what we're going through with the customer. What do you think? And Russ is like, you know what? You've done everything that I'm going to do. Just give the guy a new barrel. I'll send you another one. We'll comp it on your next order. Right. Because he, yep. oh, yeah. you know, like he trusts our judgment to run it down, and if we can't find the answer, there's not, like the barrel's not worth enough money to spend another ten hours of chasing it down with somebody. Oh yeah, you know I've had um, if all the barrels that I've got the only from you the only one that doesn't shoot good is the only one that's not a Rock Creek, and I know damn well they want the chamber that was cut. Um. And that barrel manufacturer didn't want to hear it when I contacted them putting 700 rounds down the barrel just for fucking load development and to not land on anything. And uh, and that's the difference between some companies and guys like Rock Creek uh, is, you know, guys like Russ. Russ is a, a freaking a staple in, in the industry. Russ is awesome. And uh, the uh, I know had it been a Rock Creek, I wouldn't have worried about it. Um, no, instead know, of calling I, and being like, Hey, I got 700 rounds and I can't find my ass with two hands and a flashlight. It would have been like, Russ, I got 70 rounds down this thing and I'm having some trouble. And he'd have given you probably six or seven things to try. And if that didn't work and you got to 125 rounds, he'd been like, Oh, we'll just make a new one. Yeah. I mean, I was told, I was told by this particular barrel manufacturer and I talked to the owner, I was told to drop six grains of powder charge and jump the bullet 130 thou to get it to shoot. I said, if I got to do that shit, I don't, it, the barrel ain't worth a fuck to me. 
if I, right. it's, it's yeah, already sl- it's already slow to 20, begin with. Yeah. Your 25 Creedmoor has just become a 25 223. Exactly. And uh, it was already 100 feet per second slower than other barrel manufacturers with the same exact charge weight. It was only one bullet, so it ain't the bullet. Um, yeah. But uh, it's, you know, and it is what it is. Um, uh, and it's just your work. It it speaks for itself when you look at it, when you just just looking at it before you even screw it onto your action looking at the threads looking at the cuts and it, it's absolutely a work of art and uh, i really i mean it's everything is just so smooth and gorgeous it's like you love watching super nice welders like with like aluminum welder oh, yeah. well dude like yep. you just look at you can just appreciate the work it's yep. the same thing. You can do the same exact thing with with rifle barrels. You can see the the experience. You can see the the time. You can see the knowledge that a gunsmith can have just by looking at them. Before even if they all shot dimes, just <clears throat> looking at the way they're cut, you can see what separates you know this shot from that shop and. And whatever, and there's a lot of great shops out there, and a lot of good guys. It's a, it's a great industry to be in, to be a customer in, because you've got a lot of good options. But uh, there's there's definitely a handful of those good options that stand out above the rest. Yeah. And in my opinion, PVA stands at the top of that heap. So uh, I've I've loved oh, everything that. I've gotten Thanks. from you, Josh. No, yeah, absolutely. I've I've enjoyed everything that I, I've gotten from you and. You know, and you always, always tell me you went and took back a barrel of mine that I wanted to change the caliber on. And so, or the cartridge on. So you got that with you now and you're about to be cutting a six dasher barrel for my AI. And I know it's going to shoot just as good as this one back here behind me does. And that thing, damn, that motherfucker right there is a damn laser beam, son. I mean, it just, I shot it today just to, uh. I got a new lot of uh, 105 burgers, and I wanted to. They're like 30 thou difference in overall length, but the base to ogive is dead nuts the same. And I wanted to make sure that that they shot. So I had 10 loaded up with the old lot of burgers, and then 10 loaded up with the new lot. All of them just one whole groups, and then my fireform loads just same thing. My zero doesn't even shift between my. 105s and then my 95 TMKs uh, I fire for them with, and it's so, all just this shit. It's all tiny little groups, and it just makes shooting so much more fun. And uh, well, you're actually shooting then too. You know, you're not you're not chasing your ass trying to get something to work. Like yeah, with a sick and, pit feeling in your stomach. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's like the you know there's a lot of folks will say, well, what is a custom gun or custom barrel get me over my factory gun because i've got a i've got a factory gun with massage loads and you know like guys that put a lot of work into their favorite rifle that's good you know it shoots that load really good but um you know like the gentleman who emailed me today with the the cayugas in the 30 sherman it's definitely a custom gun because sherman's a wildcat right and and he's like he loaded a three grain charge weight from like 80.8 to 83.8 grains of powder with a bullet that is i think he was the very first or he was in the first five customers that bought that bullet right he loaded it up 
and a 10-shot group across three grains of charge weight yielded him under an inch and a half at 100 yards. Yeah, and then He's a big giant a hole from all in within a grain and a half charge weight. Right. I mean, he that's... could practically load that ammo with a lee scooper and have yep. something that was going to shoot one hole. That's yep. what a custom gun, a custom barrel, and a properly built rifle brings to the table. Yep. Or or a pimp, uh, coke fingernail. Just <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Shooting with your fingernail. You always see like pimp ass motherfuckers. They got like the long ass pinky nails for scoops of cocaine, booger sugar, and they, he can just start loading shit with that and then still shoot one over. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, well is there anything else you want to get out brother i mean no, me, and you do this, me and you do this all the time man we're here at two and a half hour two hours and 28 minutes and we do me and you do this all the time so this is just a normal conversation that we have and that's uh kind of what i'm wanting to get out of these podcasts with group uh with uh with guests and especially guests like you personal friends of mine and and that way it's like the whole campfire conversation at like hunting camp where we're just, you know, talking shit and, and having a good time. And, and I want the listener to feel like they're sitting here with us and, you know, and, and being a part of the conversation. So, um, but yeah, if there's nothing else you want to get out, uh, um, can't really think anything else I want to touch on. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably get one cranked out again next week, guys. And, uh, I don't know if it'll be a solo podcast or be a guest. I'm working on a couple guests right now. Uh, going to be getting in contact with them to get them on. Um, I do you got a CL on here. And, yeah, and well, no. Well, talk about offshore man, motherfucker, we were supposed to. We were supposed to when uh, the trip to West Virginia that got canceled because of the Chinese shit. Uh, it was going to be uh, uh, me, CL, and Jeff. Um, you know, they're they're my two best friends in the world. And uh, and for people who don't know, the reason why Josh said that is CL is like the Josh Coons of fishing. Like, Dude is Yoda of offshore fishing, right? Like the three days that we've been offshore together, that I've been offshore, David went on two of them with me. That first day that I caught that huge sailfish and those other tuna, nobody caught anything. Nobody caught anything. Guys are like, yeah, we got a wahoo bite. Oh, I got a sail bite. Or like, yeah, we got two sails, three tuna, and a king on board. Yeah, I, got, yeah, I caught the big king over yeah. there, and and you know, it's, and they're like, it's amazing. oh man, post called slaughtering it today, right? Like last week, first day on the water, guys are out there talking about how they're not getting anything. We got eleven fish on board, and other guys are like, we haven't had eleven bites all day. Yeah, they had they may have one 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 bite of something they lost one or whether it been a wahoo or a, uh, yeah. a white marlin. I mean, yep. and the, the most impressive thing to me is, and I even talked Asiel about it. I was like, you know, he he'll just see how the rod reacts and hear listen to the reel, and the motherfucker knows what fish is on the other end of it in yep. two seconds. I'm like, he's like, he was like. Yep. Yeah, that's a sale. So David, or, or David had fucking... 200 yards of line out. We hadn't seen a fish yet. All we had was a screaming reel. And CL's there. He's like, oh, David's got a yellowtail. We got a yellowtail. Like, he's in there. He's yeah, I don't know how he does it. What comes up? 40-pound yellowtail. Well, CL's been doing this just about since he was shitting green. And he <laughs> has got, you know, so many just days and on days on the water. He's been a first mate 
forever, and he's been a captain for the last few years. Let me tell you something. See, I was a young man. He's older than I am. He's uh, – 39, I think he said. Yeah, 39. Yeah, but in, you know, in the grand scheme, he's a young man in a profession. And I'm going to tell you something. There are seasoned old men of the sea that call CL and ask for his advice for one thing or another. He's yep. that type of guy. I, doing I totally this believe it. Well, and, so so we're out on Jeff's boat, right? Jeff's got this gorgeous boat. And, and we're out there. Elephant, baller yep. ass boat with trip Yamaha 300s. Worth we're, what were we? 65 miles offshore, right? We're, we're way out into the Gulf Stream, and I'm exhausted. Elijah's asleep in the back of the boat. I'm like borderline asleep, watching dolphins off the front of the the boat. David's, you know, he's about asleep, and and Jeff and CL are standing there. And Jeff knows his shit, right? He's been doing this a long time. He charters people from time to time. And he catches a lot of fish himself. He and CL are standing there having like a doctoral class on how the lure's running, where to pull it in, how to set the angle on the rod, because CL wanted to see this very specific where the the streamer comes in through the water for a certain amount of time and then it pops and then it dives back in. And he's like, that's what you want to see. That's what a Marlin's going to look at. And he's talking to him and they're like, he's like explaining it to Jeff and about 30 minutes go by and a white marlin comes up and chases it and you know and we miss a strike on a white but yeah like we were the only ones to see a marlin all damn day yep and and, and cl's the guy that that you know who you want on your boat with you and i my goal was have cl to like <laughs> shut the fuck up and relax dog drink a beer catch a fish <laughs> don't do nothing Cause I, you know, because he's so good, but and I want him to have to have the same amount of fun as us because I love CL and I want him to to not feel like work. He won't get paid, but he oh. literally cannot step his feet, put his feet on a boat, and not like run shit because he's just that good and knowledgeable. And that anybody, no matter what boat he's on. It's a he's an asset to that boat. No matter who else is on it, CL is an asset on that boat because yeah. he's probably got some shit up his sleeve that you ain't ever seen before. And well, and so that's I, he can't he can't relax. Like I'm like, isn't it fun to feel like this? I guess this is fun too. I mean, this is my my fun. We talked about on the way home uh uh from the beach the other night, and I was like, man, I just wanted you to to go come here, and I wanted you to kind of like be like the client. He said, man, I can't do that. I, it's just not in my blood. I can't. I can't do that. I have to do this. <laughs> it's just like yeah. so innate, you know. Well, he, you know, he reached out to me to make sure that Elijah had a good time, you know, fishing because it. Like well, he loves kids though. He loves my son like he's his. I mean, he, yeah. Jack. Jacks calls him Uncle CL. It's. I mean, he is his uncle basically. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, it, we got a, we took a six-year-old out on a thirty-six foot sport fishing boat for two days, man, and like. Kid Elijah's a fucking true. Oh, dude, mad respect to my man Elijah. He's a hard ass <laughs> motherfucker, man. Because <laughs> yeah, he was doing good. He did sleep for about ten out of the thirteen hours, fifteen hours we were on the boat. But uh, he was a boss, man. I can't believe how well behaved he was and how tough he was. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and he came up and it's like it's throw up time, and then it's back to business. He was, you know, he's puking, and then two minutes later, when we hooked up on another mahi, he was on that. Like, 
Yeah, and he only got sick one time, and I think it was only because it, you know, he had it was early. He hadn't had anything to to eat or anything like that. I don't get seasick, yeah. but in, if I'm going to feel weird, it's going to be before the sun comes up. And uh, if I can't see the horizon, I don't care about seeing land, but I need to be able to see the horizon. Once the sun is up, I'm ready to start cracking beers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, you know, he was, you know, once we got out there, it's when he started feeling a little green and then he got sick one time and then bam, he was a trooper all day for the rest of the day. Yeah. It was good. A lot of times when you get sick, seasick, when you start getting sick, that's it for you today. As soon as you get started, you're not stopping until your feet are on the ground. And, yeah. and that's, but him, I saw, that's what I was worried. I was like, oh Lord, here it's going to start. And this poor kid's going to be out yeah. here all day. I mean, we're six, like I said, 60 miles offshore. It ain't no just turn around, drop you off at the dock. You know what I'm right. saying? It's it's a it's a day. You're out there for the day, yeah. and he and, well, and he he's a trooper. The next day, he threw up twice. He threw up first thing in the morning, like I don't know, like maybe ten o'clock. We'd been out on the water for five or six hours, and then he threw up in the afternoon because um, it, it got kind of rolly. But you know, the the second time he threw up and he rinsed out and he had a Gatorade, um, and and we stopped and we started bottom fishing. And then at that point I had to tell him like, you have to wait until I let go of the hook before you release the rod. <laughs> As yeah. I, he was about to send my index finger with a circle hook to the bottom of the ocean. For the sea yeah, an eight dot circle hook. Yeah. <laughs> but so, anyway, well, yeah. Josh, I appreciate you coming on, dude. Um, we're coming up. Two and a, yeah, we're over two and a half hours. Um, I I appreciate you coming on, and I can't believe we you haven't already been on the podcast. We talk every fucking day, multiple times a day. Um, yep. but uh, we're definitely gonna have you on again, and uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about something. I mean, it may not even be rifle related, yeah. like we've been doing. You know, it's me and you rarely talk about rifle shit. We're talking about random stuff, and yeah. I think it's good Gears, conversation too. And fishing, absolutely. Yep. So we'll, we'll do it again. And guys, everybody, I appreciate y'all listening. Um, like I said, if you're a fan of iTunes more so than Podbean, it's available on iTunes now and pocket cast. Um, if you, if you, Hey, look, if you're looking at building a rifle, look no further, go to, go to patriotvalleyarms.com. Um, it is top notch stuff. As far as prefits doesn't, there's nobody in the game that will, that does as many different action prefits. As if if the action is capable to have a prefit made for it, Patriot Valley Arms does it. And no, despite what anybody else says, any other Smith says, I promise you, on paper, you start listing out actions of what prefits are available for. Josh has got more on his list than anybody else, and there and the headspace is is perfect. So uh, go get your prefit for your Tika or your Ruckus or your AI. He's done. Four, four or five AI barrels for me, and he's working on two more right now. Um, yeah, your, your we, were, we were talking about one today. It was like, well, you know, the action can do prefits, but you know, the after seeing enough of them, I know that if we got four thousands to work with and the action takes up three of that consistently, then I've got to hold head spaces to a half a thou. Otherwise, you know, there's a chance that somebody's going to get one that closes on a no go gauge and. Yep. That's going to be my fault. So we don't do that. You know? Right. <clears throat> yeah. So, and also your bullets, your solids, if you're, if you're interested at all 
in getting some solids look no further as well than Patriot Valley arms because those solids are the real deal. Now I have no, I've had no experience with the 95 other than the 95s. And if anything is indicative of what those 95s do, they are all absolute hammers of bullets. And, um, you know, don't, don't hesitate to jump on that, especially for hunters. You know, you shoot, how many, how many hunting rounds do you shoot a year? Typically, you know what I'm saying? You can splurge yeah. and get the bullet that's, that's possibly right. You splurge and get the bullets that's possibly going to turn that that maybe that miss into a hit or that bad shot into a better shot and and then fold them up. You know what I'm saying? And and make it a short tracking job. So anyway, I'm gonna hit stop recording and I'll talk to you in a second. I appreciate you guys.